simplicity and ease is what you get when you host your podcast with Audio Boom. You can post up to five episodes per month, you get unlimited storage, and 500 minutes of recording time for each episode. Plus, advanced analytics, embeddable players, distribution of your podcast via Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Sovin, Spotify, and Stitcher. Pending approval by each platform. Right now, you can sign up for Audioboom's $9.99 monthly subscription plan and get your first month free by using promo code BOOM. That's B-O-O-M for one month free of hosting and distribution. Sign up for our $9.99 monthly subscription plan today. This is the MLW Radio Network. Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by SeatGeek. Don't miss that next great live event and make it happen with SeatGeek. Stay tuned and I'll tell you how you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. And uh, I'll tell you, this is a tremendous week to be a loyal listener of PTSM and a proud member of Moon Nation. We're coming off a great episode with John DiGiacomo, or as you all remember him, as Jameson. Now, didn't I tell you he was an awesome guest? Uh, I'll tell you, uh, just to give you an example here, I got a great tweet from Daniel Zamorano. It says, when I heard you were doing the Jameson podcast, I for sure thought it was going to be boring as hell. But boy, was I wrong. Great episode. (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. Well, if you haven't listened to it yet, get to it. So can we keep the hits coming? Of course we can. And we're going to do that in a big way this week. My guest is one I've waited a long time to talk to. He was a megastar in the 80s and 90s. And what a road he has traveled from the highest highs to the lowest lows. Lex Luger is going to be joining us momentarily. But first, I do not want you to miss any more of those great live events that you want to go to. Now, buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy them. With SeatGeek. Now, SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, uh, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, right? And uh, SeatGeek is going to get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I'll tell you, folks, I love it because... Uh, It's the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. And what I love about it is when you bring it up uh, on your phone, you see all the events taking place in your area with all the other big shows also uh, all over the country or the cities nearby you, you know, like the WWE or a big concert in a nearby city. And SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with total confidence. Now, make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. But don't just take it from me. Justin Phelps, one of our listeners, He sent a Twitter, and it says, thanks, at Sean Mooney, who, you know who that is, for SeatGeek hookup. Saved me $20 on MLB tickets. And best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app 
and enter the promo code PRIMETIME today. That's promo code PRIMETIME for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Do it now. Okay. Well, first listen to this because we've got a great episode coming up. So I've promised phone calls and pictures to a lot of people out there. I'm almost to the bottom of the phone list, and I sent out a bunch of pictures this week. So, folks, those that have them coming, they should be arriving soon. Also, congratulations to the winner of the Just Out Danny Davis book, John D'Amato has uh, won Mr. X, A Life Story of Dangerous Danny Davis. So that will be arriving soon to John. And uh, we're going to have another giveaway coming up. I'll tell you all about it. Another tremendous conversation, though. First, here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. So let's get to it. Ding, ding, ding. Lex Luger already had quite a reputation before he arrived in the WWF, uh, WWE, in 1993, but no one could have ever imagined the heights he would reach in the coming years after his run there and then at WCW. But all his success in professional wrestling, all the fame and the riches would come at a very big price. Lex, thank you so much for coming on Primetime. Hey, Sean, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, our paths barely crossed back in the day. It's kind of amazing that uh, you arrived in 93, and I was just leaving. Uh, but I've got, I finally got to meet you at a, a couple of shows uh, a couple of years ago in New Jersey. And then uh, we recently mm-hmm. saw each other in, in New Orleans. Um, but uh, I, I tell you, it was, I had, I was all, that was always one of my regrets that I didn't get the opportunity to work with you because I think we would have had some fun. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, you know, you had quite a reputation. We did, uh, we did follow you guys uh, even before the wars took place. And, uh, but before we really get into that, uh, you know, I mentioned we, we saw each other again in New Orleans. And uh, you get out to quite a few of these WrestleCon, these, um, you know, signing shows. How many do you do a year? Not very many, yeah. to be honest with you. I, Maybe uh, oh, a handful yeah. per year. I do mostly public speaking now, and I usually do that usually on weekends. So um, I do drug awareness and some schools and faith-based speaking. So normally I'm not available weekends. So I actually I don't do a lot of the signings. I love going to them. I get to, get to see the guys and the, all the fans. We're like, uh, as you know, one big family. Yeah. So I love to do like many of those and some of the bigger ones. Those are a blast. Yeah. You know, and, and you mentioned it, it's a big family and, um, you know, it, it, you know, that true test of fen- friendship that people have talked about where, you know, you don't see somebody for years and years and years, and then you run into each other. And that, that true bond is, uh, when it's like it was yesterday. And I, I know that that happens to you a lot when you see some of these guys that, uh, you know, you may not have even gotten to spend much time with because you guys are on the road so much and they're, you know, going to different places. But it really is like that, isn't it, when you see these guys? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we obviously had our group we traveled with in the cars and things uh, more than others, but uh, we all spent so much time in the buildings and traveling together in the cars and at the hotels and restaurants and things. We're, we are definitely like one big family. It's always great to reconnect with the guys and with the fans. Cause when we go to those signings, like you talked about at WrestleMania, um, and I know, you know, this, Sean, we, 
we had security and we were in the back most of the time. So we never really got to connect other than high fiving the fans to and from the ring a little bit. Uh, never got to really connect with them much. So it's always great to be able to see the fans and they share some of their stories. And I, we get to share ours a little bit and really yeah. kind of reconnect with them in a way we never really were able to when we were on the fast paced uh, world of actually, you know, doing it. So you, I enjoy and, those, uh, those signings. Sure. Yeah. And you have, you have mentioned it before too. I know that you've said that really there is no other fan in the world like wrestling fans, like professional wrestling fans. And, you know, you played professional football, you, you've been around other sports mm-hmm. and seen, you know, mania for, for, uh, different sports, but really nothing compares. And it's, it's beyond just their enthusiasm, uh, for sports entertainment, whatever people want to call it. But, but it's, it's beyond that. I don't know. I've ever seen a more loyal group of people for, uh, you know, a, a something that they, they really feel passionate about. It's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, you talk about college football, yeah. NASCAR, you can try to get some, you try to compare it, but it's sort of a experiential thing. Unless you, you're involved in wrestling like you and I have been and have interacted with the fans. And when you go to an event like WrestleMania and you see fans that come in for the entire week for the fan access and the WrestleCon and the Hall of Fame, they, they take a week out of their life. Some of them, were telling me actually at WrestleMania, I've been saving for years. I'm from Australia, or yeah. I'm from a Scotlander. They save for years to come in. They do the whole week. They come in and do the, the fan access events. They do the Hall of Fame on Friday, the next on Saturday, the WrestleMania Sunday. Then they do the Monday and Tuesday Raw and SmackDown. They stay the entire week, for instance, in New Orleans. It's absolutely incredible. You're, the, the fans in wrestling are absolutely mind-boggling it's it's really neat yeah and i'm sure you i'm sure you've also seen you know with social media which we didn't have back back in the day uh how they connect you know through twitter and uh you know the comments that you get i'm I'm sure that uh you certainly get a lot more than uh, i do but i'm always kind of blown away by just the connections that these people have and uh you know it's just amazing it really is it blows me away every day when i see these comments that people put up and they're really they're really awesome oh great definitely yeah. Definitely. I'm not big on social media. I do a little yeah. bit of Twitter. It was encouraging me by the people to connect with the fans a little bit, but that's right. all I do. I'm not a Facebooker really or anything like that, but um, I've heard, and you'd probably know a lot more about this because you're in that world. Yeah. And I'm not, but like, like WWE, I guess, as far as social media in that world, they, I guess they can mo- sort of monetize that. I guess oh, yeah. it's absolutely mind boggling with with the WWE, the, the amount of hits and the activity and the volume they do every year, I guess there's a way of measuring that. Yeah. You would know way more about that than me. And apparently it's like off the charts compared to like, even like the, like the Dallas Cowboys or you think other big sports organizations, apparently WWE is enormous. Oh yeah, it is absolutely enormous. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, they can measure all that now. And certainly the new, you know, the WWE network has just ignited a whole new uh, resurgence of mm-hmm. people being able to connect with those who were a part of that 80s and 90s. And that's basically, you know, what we talk about most of the time because many people see that as the greatest era ever in, in wrestling. So uh, that that is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all part of it. All right. So now, uh, now let's get into it because, uh, you know, 
I always love to talk to people uh, about their early path, the path that they traveled. And, you know, you certainly have had just uh, an unbelievable uh, path that you have traveled over the years. But uh, you grew up in, in, in Buffalo, New York, which I was, I was born in Rochester, not too far away from there. So I certainly know mm-hmm. what, uh, what those, that area is like. But it, it seems as though you, you started being, uh, in a sense, a rebel early on. Your parents were, you know, were gifted musicians, and you realized uh, that that wasn't something that uh, you know, may have been inside you or even something you were passionate about. But it sounds like you you discovered very early that you were incredibly gifted as an athlete. Yeah, I I just loved sports. I loved to run and jump when I was a kid. And I, I'll never forget in the third grade, I got time. They used to be the Presidential Council of Physical Fitness, and I won from my grade level. I was like the number one kid, and just uh, I remember the recognition and how how it made me feel. And I I initially started out wanting to be an Olympic track athlete and that progressed right. into you know the traditional sports and football and basketball and stuff so yeah i absolutely uh my parents were scratching their heads but i absolutely just love sports yeah but uh my mom's i used to leave uh dark fingerprints all over the ceilings in our house trying to just <laughs> see how high i could jump my mom i used to drive uh, her crazy <laughs> well that's when you got into basketball right you left fingerprints all over our ceiling yeah what's that what's that sean i said that's when you got into basketball Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> now, but uh, you, you know, your parents were musicians, but was there, there had to be some athletic talent somewhere along in the bloodlines. Did you have you know, uncles or some, you know, someone, because you're like this Adonis at, at, in third grade. I think you, you know, you, you said you, you beat this kid by, you know, 30 yards and the coach's mouth was dropped open. Uh, was it, was it in the family? Yeah. 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 I think there was definitely, I mean, obviously, some athleticism in my in my ancestry for sure. My grandmother was like six two, and she was really? uh, quite the sight to behold. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, probably definitely through, through my my dad's side. I remember seeing pictures of my dad, even though he was a classical pianist. Uh-huh. I have a picture of him that I treasure holding me at the beach when I was an infant, and my uh-huh. dad had this unbelievable physique, broad shoulders, and was real muscular. So Definitely, uh, definitely had some good genetics go, going uh, going my way down through the family. That uh, even though we were musical, definitely were some good genetics for sports in there as well, Sean, for sure. Yeah, and and it just kept uh, you just kept progressing. Like you said, you had a, a love for it. And you know, I remember we you know having a, a kid in our neighborhood. His name was uh, Mike Brown, who was one of the, came from this family, and. You know, it didn't matter what he picked up. It was a, 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 you know, a baseball, a football, a basketball. He was just great at it. And were you the mm. same way? I mean, was it just, you know, no matter what it was, you were all head and shoulders above anyone else your age and I guess beyond? Yeah, I don't know because I didn't branch out into too many other sports. Once yeah. I once I got to the middle high school level, I really focused mostly on basketball and football and a little bit of track, uh-huh. track and field. So I didn't branch out into a lot of other, a lot of the other sports. So I guess I'll never know <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, it, but I, it, those. And then of course I fled, then I, of course I fled just like you were talking before we came on, you and Rochester, Buffalo, we all try to flee the weather when we're younger. Oh, so that's yeah. when I fled, to, fled to go play college football down in Miami for sure. 
But but uh, you know, Lex, early on, um, and this this seems to be kind of a theme a lot of times with with athletes, you know, tremendous athletes that are recognized early on in their age uh, that they're gifted, and they become uh, treated differently uh, because that's that's the way our culture is. We celebrate. This is have <laughs> gone on mm. since the you know since the Romans. I mean, it's it, but we do we celebrate mm-hmm. our athletes. And it has an effect on their lives in the way that they grow up. And was mm-hmm. that the kind of the way it was for you? Because I know in high school, you, you kind of uh, had already developed an attitude. Uh, you, you were kind of uh, rebellious then. I, I, I don't know if you would say against authority. But do you think that that was kind of the beginnings of, uh, you know, what would end up really costing you in the end? But, uh, you know, I, you see it a lot with, with, with athletes that are, you know, recognized very, very young. Well, um, on your first point, definitely our our culture celebrates athletes, and I wasn't complaining. I definitely yeah. uh, didn't mind that at all. We all search significance, I think, and so and uh, like to be singled out for for good things. So, I, yeah, I think any athlete definitely thrives on that for sure, and it's. I don't think too many of them complain about that aspect yeah. of it. The rebellious side is more something that, that I, I think we're all born with. And that, that's just, just whether how we, either we keep that in check or don't. So that's kind of a different issue. And uh, so for me, the rebellious right. side of me still so was a little bit separate from my sports. I really can't blame, I really can't blame sports for my rebellious side. <laughs> but you got it. You got away with a lot more. I mean, the, you know, um, yeah, I think athletes yeah. sometimes uh, can be um, coddled that way and give some of us a little bit of sense of entitlement. I, I, always, I always thought of it as confidence. It gave me a lot of confidence. <laughs> Others would argue right. arrogance and right. overbearing, but yeah, definitely can lead to, I called it a very confident guy. Yeah. So it was uh, that you ended up settling on football, um, knowing that you probably could have done very well in basketball if you would have uh, kept after that. But what was it that made you decide, okay, my best chance, my best opportunity is through football? How did that happen? Funny story. I wasn't going to play football my senior year in high school. Yeah. And since I've come back to Buffalo to, to look after my mom, uh-huh. I got reunited with a lot of my friends and some of my high school coaches came. I was speaking at an event recently. Both my high school coaches came. I hadn't seen them in almost 40 years. Wow. And it was great to be reunited with them. Yeah. And I told him, um, and I kind of keep this in mind when I speak to youth groups and things, how my high school coaches spoke into my life. When they heard I wasn't going to go out for football my senior year, I was going to focus on basketball. I loved playing basketball. I yeah. played football, and all my buddies played football, so I was, it was in season, but I loved basketball. I wasn't going to play football my senior year, focus on basketball. I wanted to get a scholarship to a good college in basketball. My coach football coaches, they took me aside. They said, they said, you know, Larry, Lex, if you, Larry, back then, yeah. if you put even part of the effort into football that you put, uh, and, and the love you have for basketball into football, you could probably get a scholarship to almost any school in the country. They, I told them, you guys, I never really thought about that. They spoke into my life. And they mm-hmm. said, if you give us 100% from the first day of two days all the way through the season. I think you'll be, you'll have a whole group of schools lining up. 
Now, I fortunately had some other guys in my school that were getting looked at. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't on their radar at the time before my senior year for football because I always focused on basketball more. But, man, were they right. And I, I told them. I, they actually got – we all got kind of emotional. I go, I go, there wouldn't have been a football player or at a major college or a, or a – who knows what happened – or a, a uh, pro football player or even that led to pro wrestling, or there probably wouldn't have been a Lex Luger. Mm-hmm. You guys had to decide that one summer day and said, you know, said, Larry, Lex, you, you need to come out. And, and really, why, why just focus on one thing? And they, they really spoke into my life, Sean. That was a real, a real turning point for me, for sure. Yeah. I like other young people. How, how good were you, though, at basketball? I mean, do you think that, because I, I think you mentioned that, I mean, you could, like you could touch the box, uh, you know, above the rim at the top of the box, you know, that surrounds the, not the top of the backboard, but the, the, you know, that's gotta be like another foot higher than right, the, the rim. I mean, you, you had some serious yeah. hops. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I think in retrospect, looking back, I, uh-huh. I was already, like we said, I kind of had a strong willed. I thought I was going to will myself being a basketball player, but I stopped growing at six, around six foot four. So, mm-hmm. um, I was definitely genetically we talked about athletic ability better suited for football my yeah and you were already lifting weights ability. at the time too right yeah i started lifting weights and right before my senior year of football and i really and, and i really responded well to it uh-huh. immediately started really getting stronger more muscular so it was definitely um just a great decision to to play football my senior year, thanks to my coaches talking me into it. And it turned out to be a great thing, obviously, because I had a, uh, ended up playing, getting a scholarship, but playing in a major college and, and professional for seven years. So definitely was, was the right move. Yeah. Why Penn I would have to think I would have been a great basketball player, but I, yeah. <laughs> I seriously, looking back now, you yeah. know, in retrospect, doubt I would have maybe played at a top division one school like I did in football and, and, and played in the NBA or anything like that. So yeah. it turned out to be good, a really good move. Yeah, well, it did. And, and you said, I mean, I think you had boxes of uh, offers. Why, why Penn State? I mean, I know what Paterno actually came to see you, but was that the deciding did. point? Or is that was, you know, just the, the prestige that came with saying, yeah, I'm, I uh, play at Penn State? Yeah, that was definitely a deciding factor. I had down to Boston College. Right. The relationship of the of the coach there, uh, who was from Buffalo area, Miami, or Penn State, and I decided pretty much, wow, either Boston College or Miami, and uh, Miami had was getting the nod because of the weather, obviously. Yeah. Know, being born and raised in Buffalo in the winters here, <laughs> and we all want to kind of escape when we're young in high school. A lot of times, I love being back here now, but uh, back then I was looking kind of to escape the weather. And then Joe Paterno came to my high school basketball game the night before the national signing day. And boy, that was huge. And, uh, (laughs) I, I, uh, had a great visit with us and came to my house afterwards and hung out the house. And the next day I signed with Penn state, but I spent one year there and decided I wanted the warm weather. So I transferred to Miami. Yeah. Now I, I, why weren't your parents impressed with, with Paterno? Did they not want you to go to Penn state or. Oh, they they like Penn State. They yeah. actually, I had an. They actually wanted me to go to Annapolis. I had an appointment. Oh, my congressman. Yeah, right. I got recruited by Annapolis, and they wanted me to be go to Annapolis. They went with me in my trip to Annapolis, and they loved 
the idea of me going to Annapolis, what mom and dad wouldn't want their son to be out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Annapolis grad and serving the military and all that. So my, my mom and dad loved Annapolis, which wasn't in my top three at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned, you, I mean, you go to Penn state and they, they saw you as a defensive player, I guess. And, uh, you know, they like said, the call of that warm weather, probably after a year, maybe you'd had enough, <laughs> but do you have I any, did. that uh, was the weather was probably as big a factor as anything yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, we know, we know like, what, why not, why not go down there? Yeah. But I mean, do you look back and say, uh, you know, what, what might've been at Penn state? I mean, we know exactly what, eventually happened but that would have been way after you were out of there but did you yeah i'm not much of a rear view mirror guy these days yeah that's probably a good thing right yeah. but yeah. yeah definitely in my case uh thank you lord but yeah. that being said uh, definitely if i stayed at penn state and played the position that they wanted me to my gosh they wanted me to be a a uh a linebacker so, right my gosh they were Penn State was linebacker in university back then. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely um, – but I thought back then I already was very confident in myself and thought I knew better what position to play than they did. So I transferred to Miami for the weather and wanted to play a position that I thought I, I, I wanted to play. Yeah. Um, yeah. At, at that point, Lex, did you have that, that edge uh, – already with you with with that got you into some trouble and that's what what happened in miami at miami uh you, you call it confidence but was it i don't know immaturity on your part what do you what do you think it it was uh and like we kind of talked about that you know you'd accomplished everything you ever ever wanted and and wanted to do at this point and then you've got these obstacles in front of you uh what do you think it was I definitely could be great at creating my own problems for sure. That dates back to Miami. How did you get, how did you get kicked out of university of Miami back then? It was sunshine <laughs> you and, yeah. and everybody's like, everybody still asked me you, back in the day, like the rebel school, Miami, how did you kick oh, yeah. out of there? I go, it wasn't easy. I, yeah. I go, it really wasn't one thing that kind of nickel and dimed in the death of coaching. Coaching got in trouble, got in trouble again. They'd warn me. I got in trouble again. They'd warn me. So yeah, I got in with kind of a, uh, a uh, wild party crowd, Sean, and I was young, and you yeah. know, we say we're young and dumb, and and sometimes we have to learn lessons the hard way, and uh, so yeah, I got kicked out of University of Miami. Go figure. And I and they originally were just going to suspend me, but being strong-willed, uh-huh. and thinking I knew what's best, I dropped out of my classes, which the coaches were. Well, we didn't mean to drop out of school. We thought we were suspending him, and we were hoping come back in spring practice and Ugh. they called my mom and dad like your son just dropped out of school and he's living in Fort Lauderdale with his brother. My brother had flown the coop from Buffalo. He's living in Fort Lauderdale. I moved in. I, I dropped out of all my classes, moved to Fort Lauderdale and became the, the front doorman at the two hottest nightclubs in Lauderdale during the big disco craze back then, Pete and Lenny's and Mr. Pips. And that was my, that was my yeah. next big, big move, Sean. But what was your plan? I mean, as far and you still wanted to be involved in sports. I know that was a big uh, part of your life. What was your plan if you know after leaving Miami? What did you think you were going to do? When I was nineteen, I didn't have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I you figured they just come knocking I, back and say, "Come on, you're oh, kidding." Yeah, I said, "Well, I'm in Florida. Yeah, well, Fort Lauderdale, palm trees, beach, women. Um, I'm, I'm the I'm the front door guy at the two hottest nightclubs. They line up around the block every night." all the pretty girls. 
uh, wanting to get into the club. I, and I was in like, I was like at the time, like I felt like I was in my element. I didn't really have a, a game plan for sports. I thought, man, I, I guess I blew it for my college football career. And mm-hmm. the only reason I continued on in football was a alumni of Miami uh, tipped off Montreal of the Canadian Football League, which had no age restrictions because I was only 19 back then. Right. In the NFL, your class had to graduate. So I'm thinking, wow, I'm kicked out of school. Um, I already transferred to Penn State. I don't want to sit out another year. I guess I'm done with football. And Montreal Alouettes called and offered me a contract to come to training camp. And off I went. And I ended up making the team. Go figure. Yeah. Well, you were uh, you, you kept in shape, right? Oh, yeah. My, yeah I mean, at that point. My love for working out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always loved working out and pumping the iron. I watched that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger pumping iron, and I fell in yeah. love with working out. Yeah. For sure. And I also worked with a world champion power lifter here in Buffalo uh, in high school, my senior year. And then also my best friend, one of my best friends to this day now was a, a he has a, was a, a owned a gym here in Buffalo and was had his master's in exercise physiology exercise physiology he was uh-huh. kind of like my trainer and my nutrition coach so i had like all that background then i saw the movie pump iron and i started doing a lot of extra weight training and everything so i i love called power building i sort of combined power lifting with bodybuilding yeah and then i had a great strength coach at miami he came out of nebraska program which was kind of the founding fathers of our modern day uh strength training and, and conditioning for football. Um, out of, Boyd Epley was kind of the founding father out of Nebraska. I had a guy who had studied under him at Miami. So, man, I loved hanging out in the weight room. So, that yeah, that was a big part of everything for sure for me, working out and lifting weights. Well, and you were incredibly you fast. Well, in my right? wrestling career, right? Yeah, but you were incredibly fast. I think you would, uh, ran a 4.640 uh, at 250-plus. Yeah. You're way... <laughs> They must, yeah, like they must have just looked at me like, Green Bay, who is this timed, freak? <laughs> yeah, Green Bay, I timed at 4.6. Yeah. Uh, I think like uh, almost 280. Yeah, 270-something. Wow. For sure, yeah. So what was that transition, though? Like you go, you go from a college program, and I'm, uh, you know – the uh, you know Montreal is not the NFL, but it is a it's a huge step up. They had a lot of great athletes playing up there in the CFL. Guys that had played in the NFL or or who were hoping to get a look by the NFL. So what was that that transition going you know to that speed on the field? Um, it was a big transition because we were competing against the Americans. Yeah, uh, we had 15 Americans per team. So you're competing against guys who either already played in the NFL. We had first round draft picks, Tom Cousineau, and we had a, we had a lot of great NFL players on our team in Montreal. So it was very competitive. So it was right, and they they could only have so many Americans, right? Like 15 per team. Right. Oh, so I okay. was competing against just a few guys for my spot, but oh. one of the guys who was an All Pro um, got injured which gave me the opportunity to show I could, uh, and the, and the uh, coach there really took a liking to me and liked my athletic potential. And the guy that got injured ended up retiring and I ended up getting his spot. So I was off and running in professional football. It was yeah. very fortunate for sure. Yeah. Well, and then you got uh, a look from the green, from green Bay, your chance to get in the NFL. Uh, 
that must have been a little mind blowing. Yeah, I played almost three years in Montreal. Yeah. And then I, um, I became eligible for the NFL, and I went to Green Bay. Had some injuries, but um, loved being there. And then the USFL formed. And I was, mm-hmm. I, but I'd spent a winter in Green Bay. And I go, man, I'm back in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up getting the opportunity to go down to uh, Tampa, where I bought a home in the off season, and it was a and the coach Spurrier. Old ball coach was there, and man, they were selling out the NFL stadium there. So I got an opportunity to go there, and I jumped all over it. Yeah. Loved it. USFL was fun. I ended up playing there for a season. I went to, uh, got traded to Memphis with Pepper Rogers, who's also a fun coach to play for. So towards the end of my football career, before I started to get into wrestling, I had a, I had a blast with some of those coaches. So I, football was a lot of fun. Yeah, and and I don't know, you know, people don't realize too, and uh, you know how difficult it is to make it in professional football because even if you're you've got the talent, even if you've got the size, the speed, you know, one injury and you're gone, and they, you know, it's just a, it's 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 a really tough way to make it. No doubt, I never thought yeah. about it really much back then, but looking back now in retrospect. I mean, so many top players, even from major, yeah. major uh, football powerhouses, actually ever have any kind of pro football career. So yeah, definitely, They're extremely competitive. Yeah. So, so I mean, in the end, I got it, to play for seven years. Yeah, but in the end, you, you knew that was not going to be uh, a path for you. So what do you end up in Florida? Well, and how in the world do you end up with uh, Hiro Matsuda? crazy i'm in florida right because i'm playing yeah. football i yeah. bought a home in tampa right. didn't really follow pro wrestling but i was in memphis playing for the memphis show but wrestling was big in memphis with jerry lawler and all those guys yeah dundee and when i was playing football i was around there everybody asking hey are you a pro wrestler because you know i love wrestling the weight so i had the physique and they go hey are you a pro wrestler I'm like what is this wrestling thing here yeah. and it got me thinking maybe i should look into that and Living in Tampa at the time still, still at a home there, I was walked into Championship Wrestling in Florida in the offseason. You say, I never thought of football not working out. My idea was that the USFL had just folded, Sean. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, either I can go back to the NFL with a glut of free agents, yeah. and maybe I would have had another five, seven years of, of an NFL career, possibly. I didn't lack confidence, remember. Or let me get, take a look at this wrestling. And so I just walked into the office and they introduced me to Matsuda. He trained me in his dungeon for three, four months. And before the off scene was over, I was making my debut at the Daytona Beach Oceanfront Center wow. against Coco Samoa. I never went back to football. Just took right off. Crazy. Yeah, but you, you fast forwarded there pretty quickly. Uh, how did you survive Matsuda? Because there's been you know, legend of... People that have fallen by the wayside trying to last for, you know, an hour with the guy. And if he, you know, he tested uh, whether or not you were serious about it and was known to stretch a few. <laughs> and that might include oh, yeah. broken bones Broke, along like, the way, too. Hogan's leg, yeah. Yeah, what is yeah. it that he, so that go, he took to you? Hogan I mean, imagine. on the ring, he broke Hogan's leg. Yeah. Go ahead, Sean, I'm sorry. No, no, I, you, that's a, a great point. That you, and I think that, you know, a lot of people may or may not know that, but uh, Hogan uh, was one of the people that, uh, you know, 
you know, I talked to Brutus, uh, who was around then with, with, with Terry, you know, back then. And, you know, a lot of those guys didn't want Terry around because they saw him as, you know, kind of a hippie looking uh, young kid guy, you know, who was coming in to try and shake up the business. And they, they won, they really weren't looking to test him as much as they wanted to get rid of him. Mm, I never heard that for sure. Yeah. Fat Suda was a very serious minded individual that I didn't yeah. realize at the time. He knew all yeah. these hooks from, uh, and they call it the hooks where he can break bones, and yeah. which is what he did with Hogan. And Hogan was just goofing around the ring with another guy, and, and Matsuda thought he wasn't respecting the business and broke his leg to show him he wasn't selling properly and broke his leg to show him how to sell a leg. <laughs> My gosh, I heard those stories afterwards. I wasn't fully aware of it. But once again, I, I was a pretty serious guy about working out as well. I respected Matsuda. Uh, because he did everything with you. He'd warm you up with a five-mile run in the hottest, hottest part of the day down in Tampa in the summer. It was like 90-something degrees with Ugh. 90-something percent humidity. That would be your warm-up. Then he'd take you and do Lord. like 300 push-ups and 1,000 Hindu squats <sighs> and for a couple hours and just wear, try to wear you out. But he'd do some, you'd do some, he'd do some. And him and I just, man, I was I – was, I loved working out, so him and I just had a special bond from day one. He never uh, – he treated me with respect, and I, I, of course, respected him and the opportunity. He never did it for money or reimbursement. He just loved it. He loved professional wrestling. He loved to see guys make it. He, he, he thought was serious about it. Boy, talk about getting connected, Sean, with the right guy at the right time. He actually mentored me. He never did this. And went to right. the ring as my manager the first couple of months to make sure my matches went okay. And what a wow. special guy. Yeah. Him, a great family man. I have such respect for that man. He's not with us anymore. But boy, when instrumental party played and getting my career started properly and launched in pro wrestling, what a wonderful man, Hiro Matsuda. So I so didn't those... really encounter him. I asked him when I found out about his hooks and all the stuff he knew, yeah. judo champion from uh, Japan. And I said, do I need to learn that stuff? He goes, no, no, pro wrestling different now. He goes, you don't need to know that stuff. He goes, just yeah. always respect the profession. So he uh, he was a great mentor to me to get me started for sure. And those workouts were for real. Very thankful I mean, where, for him. Yeah, but those workouts were for real because you 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 know you hear about them and they oh, seem yeah. human. Where you said you would do like 30 push-ups, 30 push-ups. He would, how many, and then how many sets, like 10 before you would move on to some? back to back, I mean. Oh. That, that was after that five, six-mile run. Then we do like a 1,000 Hindu squats, 500 <laughs> jump squats. Literally, before you even take you to the ring, you have to be able to do all that nonstop from the run to the push-ups to the Hindu squats to the jump squats. And it take a couple hours, and he, he gradually builds you up to that. And literally, he'd turn the air conditioning off oh, in his – I call Florida. it a sweat factory. <laughs> in Florida. He had a garment, little garment factory, uh-huh. and he turned the air conditioning off a couple hours ahead. It was it had to be 120 degrees in there in the summer, Jeez. and there'd be him and I. There'd be a puddle that you could mop up a sweat like eight feet in diameter around us. It was crazy, Sean. But, but so how? If the I world, ever had a film clip of that, it was crazy. Oh yeah, but and yeah, today people would have them, but they don't exist, unfortunately. But. You know, most yeah. people who get into wow. weightlifting and bodybuilding and, you know, they don't bother with the cardio part, you know, they look great, right. but you ask right. them to go run a mile and, and they can't do it. Uh, 
was that a regular right. part of your of your regimen? Because there's no way you could have walked into that 120 degree garment factory and been able to even come close to uh, hanging with the guy. And I don't care how many push-ups you can do, but you know, if you work out on a regular basis, you know you've got to have that endurance. Was that a regular part of what you were doing, right. or did you build up to it? Well, he built me up to it, and also I had heard a little bit about his training regimen, so I dropped right. about 25 pounds from my football weight, got down to like around 250 pounds, which at that time was very light for me, and that helped me a lot too. And he built me, built me up to that over a period of two to three months, and uh, just he, he really inspired me to hang. So I ended up getting through it somehow oh. very quickly. Like I was one of the like the fastest guy to ever graduate from the sweat factory, as we called it, the dungeon, to the yeah. ring. I, I got in the ring within a couple months with him, which wow. was unheard of. So now, I was very fortunate. Now, now, were you doing anything at the time to enhance yourself? Were you doing any of the, the cycling at that point, or did that come later? You know, I dabbled in the off-season because of my right. powerlifting background and stuff, a yeah. little bit of the um, PEDs, but yeah. uh, I never did it in-season. And so I was not a big, I was, I was without a doubt, genetically, I was like, I was a really, um, muscular kid, uh, like even in high school before I ever touched weights or anything and strong, like when I started doing the bench presses my senior year in high school, the first time ever I was benching over 400 pounds with like, like within five, six weeks, it was crazy. So. I definitely had an affinity towards being strong and muscular uh, before I ever ever considered doing any of the uh, the formats. Like in college football, I broke all the records at Miami in the weight room. Never had touched uh, any yeah. kind of steroids or anything. Yeah. So definitely had a good foundation already through my powerlifting and my strength training in football before I ever ever considered doing that. But definitely, it became a a regular thing with the guys and 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 a lot of sports, including for wrestling. Well, and nobody really knew at the time. Yeah. And and nobody knew at the time what they were doing to your body or, you know, they just worked, you know, they, Sean, they weren't even a banned substance. Yeah. Right. Football initially when I was in wrestling, they weren't even categorized as an illegal drug at the time. It was considered like a supplement at the time. That's not an excuse, but that's just the way it was back in the mid to late eighties. And so they finally became a controlled substance, but they weren't even a controlled substance until well into the, like mid to late eighties. So when you start at this point, are you in the best shape of your life? Are you, you know, after going, doing these workouts with Matsuda, I mean, you, you must've been. <laughs> I was, but I actually had to put some of my muscle back on yeah. that type of training. is not conducive to maintaining a lot of muscle mass. And they obviously wanted me to, the new look was coming in with Hogan and um, yeah. some of the other guys that were coming in. It was, it, it was that new look of a guy who was like kind of uh, big and ripped. And so they were looking for that. Now, of course, timing, that was great for me as well. So I actually worked hard at putting some of my muscle mass back on. That took me a, really a couple months uh, of training to get back to where I wanted to be before my debut. So I was in the ring then. He lightened up a little bit on that training and did more in-ring work. And he actually encouraged me to put some of my muscle mass back on. So that was kind of the segue between getting out of the dungeon, training in the ring before I made my debut in Daytona Beach in uh, late October of 85. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring that up, uh, 
Lex, about how you know, like the 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 change that was coming as far as the look in the ring, because you know, prior to that, you had you know the the Dusty Rhodes, and we could go on and on with many of these other wrestlers who certainly mm-hmm. were not known for their physique, and then you 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 start having these these uh, this this new these new young guns coming in with the guns, and uh, right. Was that really when it was starting to happen? And I mean, you guys need I'm, could take some credit. I would I would hope that with uh, with changing how uh, wrestling was was perceived at that point, that uh, you 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 did have these super athletes, I guess we could call them, coming into into the business. Well, it's very commonplace now. I'd say it was yeah. more unusual back then. Yeah, I don't know about taking credit. We did have. Well, I think guys. superstar, superstar Billy Graham, right? Tony Atlas. Yeah, there, there was, was a few. some guys, but they were the exception to the rule. Yeah, exactly. And so, did you see this all happening? And and uh, you know that certainly catapulted you to uh, you know climbing that ladder very quickly. You said take the credit. I I find it more. I I hopped on the right wave. Yeah. Okay. If I was a if I was a surfer, Sean. I hopped on the wave, or that, that was. I came in when that's what they were looking for. Yeah. They're like, "Look at this guy!" And man, just took off like the Fourth of July fireworks, and ended up having a fifteen-year career working with every top guy. It was like a Fourth of July fireworks that went off after my debut. It like never ended. A year yeah. after my debut, I was with the Horsemen. I'm not trying to jump ahead, but it all happened like at at warp speed for sure. Crazy. Yeah, and uh, did you catch on right away? Or did you were you able to kind of you know hide behind that physique before you uh, were able to you know really perform in the ring? They didn't want me to hide it. They had me shave all my body hair off, and they want yeah. they didn't want me to hide it. They put me out right in front. I wrestled. I ended up wrestling a big match two or three weeks into my career with who was famous athlete and wrestler Wahoo McDaniel's. Yeah. Back then, and he looked at Matt Sutton and goes, "What do you want me to do with him?" He's only he doesn't even know, really know how to wrestle yet. And while and Matsuda told me the conversation he had with why was this? If you're the kind of athlete and worker in the ring, I didn't understand this back then. That yeah. you said, that I know you are, you should be able to have a good match with a broomstick. Yeah. So I was definitely not a broomstick, but Wahoo ended up working with me. And then uh, like three weeks after that, six weeks into my career, I was they had me win the Southern Heavyweight Title, which was the biggest title back then down in florida which was a territory mm-hmm. and magic gosh sean just took off i no, there was no hiding behind my they put me right out front flair came down to wrestle me my first time seeing rick flair crazy story if you want to hear it but absolutely um, they brought rick flair down i my career took off i was southern heavyweight champion then flair would go around as you know nwa wc and then being wcw Mm-hmm. all the territories and Florida, Florida was a big, very popular territory for guys because of the weather. And a lot of the top wrestlers in NWA wrestled at one time in Florida. There I am. They brought Ric Flair down to wrestle me once again, where I had my debut about maybe four months after I started wrestling with Ric Flair to do an hour Broadway. Jeez. Well, you like, what the hell? Started, I got to be out there for an hour. <laughs> yeah. I was so nervous. But uh, Rick, Rick definitely, Rick, could, Rick literally could have had a, as good as Rick was in the ring, Rick could have had an hour Broadway with a broomstick. Yeah. So Rick got me through it. And really Rick is who scouted me out. He went back to 
NWA headquarters in Charlottetown with the Crockett's talked me up. And about six months later, they, they brought me in. They, they ended up uh, talking to me and wanted to bring me in. And I didn't realize it uh, to make me one of the horsemen. Now we're talking less than a year into my career. Wow. I didn't yeah. un- even know that the four horsemen were like the elite heel group in pro wrestling at the time. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I mean, you talk about an opportunity. Wow. But, you know, uh, this is a, another thing I really find interesting about your career and you at the time. Now, you, you call it confidence, but uh, were, you, were you smartened up enough to know I've, I've got to show respect to these guys? Because it sounds like you had some guys who looked out for you. I mean, uh, certainly you said Wahoo McDaniel could have destroyed you as far as uh, an opportunity in the ring. Ric Flair certainly didn't have to do what he wanted to do. So what was it about uh, your uh, ability to establish a relationship with them or at least uh, have them want to look out for you? You know, I don't know if it was anything on my part so much, Sean. Matt Seward did you must have done something. Me that, I mean, yeah. Well, okay. A couple things. Matt Suda taught me yeah. from day one. Number one, as you know, he taught us he wanted everybody to respect the business because he respected it so much and was right. so thankful for what it had done for him, him, his family, and his life. Mm-hmm. That he wanted uh, to give anybody the stamp of approval who we didn't think was going to respect the business. So he always taught me it's a work. And he knew better than anybody if it's not a work, it, it, how many guys would last very long? So he yeah. said, it's a work. Don't ever refuse to finish. Don't ever not be cooperative with it and, and try to take care of the guy in the ring with. Don't, don't ever always be careful with your opponent. Uh, try not to ever injure him. Matsuda taught me all those things from day one. Uh. So I did have that. Uh, I was taught that, which I'm thankful for. I'd say yes, sir, no, sir. To Wahoo McDaniels and guys like Ric Flair, which I, of course I did. I was raised that way as well at that time. So, um, yeah, but what's hard to believe team. is you, you listened <laughs> because I mean, I you must've had an I, awful lot of respect from, for, uh, Matsuda. I did. Yeah, I did. And I didn't know anything about wrestling. So I was really leaning on him as well. Right. Yeah. Right. I didn't have much, really know much about pro wrestling at the time. And then the guys like Wahoo McDaniels, and I tell people this and Ric Flair, they weren't just great athletes and, and stars themselves. They had special gifts and, it, it, I'm learning now that, that we all have special gifts. God made us all a certain way. And yeah. they are encouragers. Uh-huh. And they also are star makers. Mm-hmm. And they, a lot of guys can be stars. I was the guy, to be totally frank and straightforward about defining myself a little bit, I was, a, a, I was a, considered a star in my era in wrestling. Mm-hmm. But I was not like really a star maker. Part of that was my mentality because it was more about me. Mm-hmm. But Rick and guys like Wahoo had a way of not only having a great morning, have a great match, but bringing out the best in the person in the ring. Rick knew exactly what to do with you and, and bring out the best in you, whatever qualities you had. Rick would literally tell me when to flex. And so I had some of the greatest. Yeah. I worked with so many top guys in the business who, who, who really led me through most of my matches in my career, really. I got to work with the best of the best, the Bret Hart's, the Shawn Michaels, uh, you name it. I worked with really every top guy, Macho Man, uh, Sting, uh, every top guy in my era. So I, I really had it easy in that regard. Most of them led me through and knew what my attributes were. And they want to have a good match and they want to make money with guys like 
like Hulk Hogan was never considered maybe the greatest business uh, worker in the ring in the business, but guys want, I'm not comparing myself to Hogan. Of course, there's only one Hulk Hogan, yeah. but he's a pro, he's the number one example of guy who was maybe not the greatest worker, but maybe drew the most money ever. Yeah. Yeah. And guys, guys worked with him who knew how to uh, feature what he, what he brought to the ring and what fans wanted to see out of him. Mm-hmm. And, and guys like Flair, who really put me on the map and Sting and I talk about all the time. Sting, as talented as Sting as, and at a worker compared to me in the ring, Sting also credits uh, Nate for really putting us on the map. And yeah. Rick made so many stars in our business besides him just being maybe one of, I would put him probably if I was going to do a Mount Rushmore yeah. of wrestling in history, I'd put Rick on that, of course, automatically. But he's also a, a huge star maker. What an incredibly talented guy! Yeah, and you and you mentioned that. And this is this is a bit off off track here a little bit, but you mentioned Star Maker, um, and and Rick had to want to do that for people. But I also also think it comes down to there's there's very few that are really uh, you know that understand or understood the the psychology of of uh, what goes on in the ring. You, and you know what I'm saying as far as being able to you know, mm-hmm. lift the crowd up, take a crowd down, knowing when to do this, when to make this move, when to, when to slow it down, when to speed it up. And I think, and you could probably name a few, but, uh, that I think it is in a sense, a lost art. I don't know if we, we really see that we see superstars who understand it as much anymore. Well, I don't know if I, I totally agree with that, Sean. I mean, a lot of guys love the old school wrestling the way we did it. But yeah. the guys, we're talking tech, tech, a technique is called a technician in the ring. Right. And the, the ring psychology, what we do is a tactician. Rick obviously got a, like a quadruple dose of both. We have those same kind of guys in, our, in the business today who are credible with their technique and the moves they do and, the, and the also ring psychology. And those guys always, I think, to this day, rise to the top. And now I think even more so because it's not always the guys with the physical look they were looking for with the Road Warriors and myself and Hulk Hogan, a lot of the Ultimate Warrior. Now almost any size guy can make it. But I think the moves in the ring are so much more athletic and spectacular. And my gosh, I I think it's kind of like apples and oranges almost. I mean, I'm glad we were kind of the foundation that, yeah. Of course, and we built off the guys before us, the generations to generation. But I go to, like, we were at WrestleMania in New Orleans to look what just from uh, to what the wrestlers do in the ring now to what we did to the production and what the television and the big screens and the, from arenas to stadiums, it continues to evolve. I think it's bigger and bigger and I think better and better. But that's just my opinion. Some might yeah. argue uh, that against that, but I. I think it's a very pay-per-view driven W network business. Now they have to, they can't have the six month or one year storylines or angles like we yeah, used to. Right. And they have to follow those parameters of timelines. Yeah. I, I think they do a great job of it. And I love what these young guys are doing. I think it's fabulous. I have a great admiration for what they do. And, and so with that, uh, how much, since we're talking about that ring psychology, just understanding, you know, how it how it uh, develops in a ring, how much is that is can be taught, and how much is just inherent, where you just have that gift. A couple things. I was watching 
my first matches I had was in, in the Madison Square Garden, the Mecca, right, Sean? I mean, yeah. look at all the sporting events and Frank Sinatra and Muhammad Ali, the history there on the walls when you're in the back. It yeah. is mind-boggling if you're an, an athlete or pop culture person. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm in the garden. Yeah. So I'm there, and Vince McMahon is standing at a curtain that has a bird's-eye view of the ring, not that far from the ring from the back. Yeah. And I walked up to him. I didn't want to interrupt him, but I go, I go, I noticed he, he was standing there the whole night. I looked at him and go, do you always stand at the curtain here? He goes, oh, yeah. I go, do you mind if I ask you why? Him and I had already developed a progression. Yeah. My dad always did it. Uh-huh. I go, really? He goes, yeah. I go, why did your dad always do it? Because we get to lit, watch and listen to the crowd. You know that old song, not if I can make it in New York, I can make it anywhere? Yeah. Goes, and I can sort of gauge Sometimes, a lot of times, he goes, there's an, always an intangible that stuff cool stars have. Yeah. Some guys develop it, but most guys who become a huge star, there's a buzz mm-hmm. in the garden, he said, my dad told me, about when they come out to the ring, there's something about the look or, or their swag that they have that comes naturally, even if they're maybe an opening match guy, that, that tells you they have what, what uh, Vincent Mann told me, the it factor. Rick right. Flair used to tell me that too. I remember I watched my first interview with Sting, uh-huh. with Flair, and, and I was kind of jealous of Sting because he was a new guy too coming up with me at the same time, and everybody was talking about Sting and him howling and, and his, his how he could fly across the rings. So I was I was kind of jealous. Ended up becoming best friends later on to right. this day, but at right. the time I, we were competitive, and I was kind of jealous. I I saw him do an interview with Rick, and he got lost, and and it was only about thirty seconds long. And, mm-hmm. he, and, he, and he just said, he, and he stumbled bump at the interview. Finally, he just, he let out a big howl and beat on his chest and said, Rick Flair, I'm going to break that big beak of yours off of your face and howled and beat his chest and the crowd went crazy. <laughs> I'm like, Rick, what the Rick? Yeah. I go, what? That was the, I, Rick was watching with me. I go, Rick, yeah. that was the worst interview I've ever seen. Listen to that crowd. I don't get it. And he goes, and Rick looked at me and go, Lex, he's just got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, Sting had the it factor. Yeah. Make my point that we're talking about right now. So yeah, a lot of it can be learned, and some guys who are good become r- really good. But a lot of the really big stars are decided by the. I always tell people, Vince McMahon and his dad knew that the really big stars, the cr- the people really pick them. Oh yeah, yeah. You can try to cram somebody down their throat, but yeah. if they don't have that little that it factor that people look for. He goes. Because you'll never usually be able to, to really make him into the kind of star you might want and might, might try to program him into being. So yeah. They've got to have the it factor. Yeah. So that's well, a big part of it, for yeah. sure, without a doubt. Well, and you and you can, you know, the list is long of guys that you could name that just had, in you know, uh, looking at them saying they got, all, they got it all. They have everything. But they didn't have the it, you know, and they've gone by I the way. So many guys. Yeah. Yeah, I saw so many guys that were better physical specimens than me yeah. with incredible physiques that came through the schools and everything else who never even had a match in pro wrestling. Um, uh, there might be a lot of reasons for that, but one of the big reasons they they didn't have that that kind of intangible yeah. quality that the that the fans were looking for. Yeah, and, uh, well, and I always I think that's part of our special relationship was we get back to what we're talking about at the beginning yeah. is that that special family relationship we have with the fans is the fans really uh, are the star makers as well. So yeah. they participate in what Flair and all those kind of guys are also star makers. So it all kind of 
works together in one beautiful jambalaya of mm-hmm. guys who end up becoming the biggest stars of, of their generations. It's pretty cool to watch the rock and you see it was stone cold and yeah. to watch these guys. I remember the first time I did a Vince McMahon almost first time I, I, I sting and I kind of hung out with Bill Goldberg when he was training a little bit. He wanted to ride to the shows with us and stuff. Uh-huh. And before he ever wrestled and did his debut. And so when Bill went out the first time, he was an unknown. It was a TV taping. So I did the Vince McMahon, I hunt the curtain yeah. to watch. And man, Sean, you could, I, I, I said, I, I realized when I did that, that I go, this Goldberg is going to be a huge star because really? when he went out there, they didn't really know who he was, yeah. but you could feel, literally feel electricity, energy in the building when he came out. Nobody knew who he was, but they were like, who is this guy? Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah, well, Pretty you know, cool. uh, I remember, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan would never be uh, described as a, a ring tactician and, the, you know, the moves that he mm-hmm. had or whatever. But, you know, I, I remember when I first, you know, got to the, the WWF and uh, mm-hmm. I went to a house show, one of the first ones that, you know, that, that Hulk was going was at. And I had covered uh, a lot of sports before that. I had been, uh, you know, Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. I'd been, you know, just, and I remember being in that arena when he came out and I was, I, I've described it before. I was, the sound went through my body, just through my chest. Mm-hmm. And I just had never experienced anything like that in my life for about, for any human being that the, they blew, he blew the roof off that place. And because oh, we thrive on it, the crowd yeah, thrives on it. Yeah. It's, you guys, you witnessed it. It is a, a hard to describe feeling that goes on in those buildings. I remember. Um, I've witnessed it so many times. I remember the, the World Warriors who have always been, they've tried to replicate the World Warriors so many times. Yeah. When I first time I got in wrestling and saw the World Warriors live, people go, you're not going to believe when the World Warriors come out to the music. He goes, you're not going to believe what goes on in the building. I was uh-huh. like, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Man, I watched them. I was in awe. And getting back to what I told you about my first time, Rick Flair. Yeah. I, liked, I love to try to blame him. I'm half joking. But leading me down the path of destruction, in my in my personal life, but Rick Rick always taught me to oh you got to live the gimmick and and mm-hmm. uh, image enhancements everything and you got to party and you got to buy the top end Mercedes and wear the Rolex so of course Rick was my role model but the yeah. first time I met Rick Flair when he came to wrestling hour Bar Boy Sean when he yeah. talked about the it factor when he rolled into that building I'd never met Rick yeah and he came in the limousine with the fur coat the custom made suit. Yeah, the diamond rings and jewelry, and that diamond encrusted Rolex, and the designer shades on. Mm. And man, when he walked in that locker room, he just the charisma just comes off of him. Yeah, I, right that day, I was so in awe. I was going to have a match with him that night, and the man, he was like my role model. I wanted to be like Rick, and there, of course, there will only ever be one Rick Flair, and I was never going to be Rick Flair. But man, I wanted to get the robe. My first, I asked Rick if I could do a robe like him. He's like, well, if I was you, Nathan Hernandez told me, if I was you, I wouldn't wear any robe if I had a body like you. Mm. He goes, if you want to get a robe, he gave me his robe girl. I, at the beginning of my career, I wanted to be just like Nate. Yeah. I, it was so, I was so in awe of him, Sean, when I met him that first time. Uh-huh. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, he lived it. He, that, that was the, that, he in and out oh. of the ring. Didn't matter. He, in to this day. Still does to this day <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh I saw him God. at the airport yeah. when I was leaving New Orleans, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. 
and I and I I remember I was going through security and I felt like this big buzz, you know, because obviously people notice it's, oh, yeah. it's and I didn't know who it was. I got through the end there and I see him stand over there. They're just like people come everywhere. And uh we got well, a chance. Pop culture phenomenon outside of wrestling. I when I speak at a school to this day yeah. or at a church, Sean, when I as soon as I mentioned that you gotta talk a little about your wrestling career and who guys you wrestled with. I, of course, I wrestled with the Four Horsemen and our fearless leader, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Everybody does the woo. Yeah. Matter, they're That's what they're doing in the, the airport. Everybody starts going, woo. <laughs> it is crazy. It's so funny. Yeah, that's it. what they were doing at the airport. I, that's another thing. I was, should have been my first clue. Like, but you know, you'd heard it so much over the weekend. I didn't. I'm like, oh, wait yeah. a minute, there he is. That's Isn't all it right. Great? So I, I want to go back I'm to. So thankful uh, we still have him. He had uh, a real scare yeah. a while back. I'm so thankful we still have Nate. Yeah. I did my first Sean a few yeah. months back, and you know, I don't do a lot of don't do a lot of the signings. I had an opportunity yeah. to do a signing with Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, J.J. Dillon. Rick and myself, I didn't realize it, but the guy yeah. who put it on came up to me and goes, do you realize that you five yeah. have never been together in the same room at the same time for in, the, in 24 years? Wow. Horseman. Yeah. That was quite a yeah. That's, oh that's my a, gosh. We had a great time. People were lucky who were there. We had that never all been, signatures. I've been with Rick or I've been with Aaron and Tully, but yeah. all five of us have never been together uh, uh, in the same, at the same place at the same time in almost 25 years. Yeah. So that, that, uh, when you, you do get to the WCW and, 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 uh, at the urging of, of Ric Flair, uh, oh, yeah. that must've just been a pretty heady time. You must've just been kind of blown away that, uh, all this had happened. Uh, and, and then here you are among the elite, um, in the world of professional wrestling already. Yeah, what an opportunity, huh, Sean? I mean, to no, be able to God. learn off Aaron and Tully and JJ and Rick and kind of just assimilate me in and to be a part of the Four Horsemen, man, you talk about opportunity knocks. Wow. And again, they made me U.S. champion like shortly after I came there. So we had like all the belts. Aaron and Tully were the tag team champions. Rick was the world champion. I was U.S. champion. That was like all the major uh, gold back then, right? Yeah. It was like we were walk to walk and t talk to talk and walk to walk. So we were, people loved to hate us. It was, uh, it was quite the experience to break in with WC, uh, WCW with those guys. What a, what an opportunity, man. Well, well, One and also you, think, memories of, yeah, of you think of the timing of it too. I mean, uh, you know, Ole wants out. So you, you get, yeah. you move in there and yeah, that was a shoot. He wanted, he wanted more time at home with his kids. Yeah. So you yeah, talk about timing again, right? Wow. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that it just took off from that point. Um, what was it like working for Crockett at that time? Because I think you were, you were making pretty damn good money, but uh, he wasn't so financially sound. So was it kind of. Uh, well, well, it was good for me. I had a contract. I had one of the first yeah. guys to have a good contract. And um, it was. And we ended up almost before we went to got bought up by Ted Turner. We had a huge run there where we almost, the company was salvaged. Now I don't know any of the behind the scenes stuff of what the Crockett's were doing with the money or how they're investing it or but were the crowds good the money was being spent. Oh yeah. 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 We had some amazing crowds for uh -huh. sure. Uh huh. Yeah. 
Matter of fact, little known, but when uh, towards the end, there, right before we were going to merge with WCW, the Crockett's were having second thoughts because we were selling out everywhere. Yeah. So what did you we learn from those guys? Like What's that, Sean? What did you learn from being around those guys? Uh, there's not many people that uh, w- were accepted into a fraternity like that, and here you, you're this young guy coming up. Uh, you're just a sponge soaking up what these guys could teach oh, you. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Wow, to what you learn in the ring really? with them and <laughs> how to conduct yourself and interviews. and Man, what a learning experience. My gosh, amazing. That, I, mean, I got to work with Ricky Steamboat while I was there. Man, yeah. Sean, I, I worked with so many incredible guys yeah. who were great teachers. Just amazing. So this transition starts to happen, though. Crockett decides uh, he can't keep it solvent. And then Turner comes in. Uh, you were probably happy because uh, it probably was going to make life financially a lot stable, a lot more stable. But what happened to the business? Did it did it change much? Did they bring new people in right away? How, what happened with the you know the business at the time? Really, for us as wrestlers, other than having to move from Charlotte to Atlanta, yeah, um, they wanted us headquartered there. Really, was pretty seamless for us as wrestlers. And I don't know what went on behind the scene. I no. was an office guy, but. Um, we, and we all thought, wow, this is big time. We got uh, the, the big bucks of Turner now behind us. So uh, I think overall, I don't want to speak for everybody as a group, we, we were pretty happy about it. And wrestling was wrestling. So we'd already been filming all our stuff out of Atlanta there on Saturday morning. So it was actually a pretty seamless transition for all of us. Yeah. Well, you always hear about such turmoil uh, behind the scenes, even at that point. Was it, was it that bad or, you know, because you had a lot of uh, – you know, superstars, uh, and I don't mean WWF superstar, superstars. You had these mega stars that were there. Uh, you had, you know, with Dusty and Rick, Rick Flair, and was there, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, controversy between them? People trying to, you know, one trying to run the place, others trying to jockey for position. I mean, what was it? What was it like behind the scenes? You know, I wasn't really privy to that, Sean. Yeah. Um, I heard you, you guys heard rumors and stuff and we're in a very competitive industry. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I heard rumors that there was issues between maybe Dusty and Rick and we heard those things, but I was more of a, I, I always tried to um, back then to emulate and, and do what Matsu told me and just be a, a good foot soldier. Yeah. So I, I never really was intricately involved in any of the uh, behind the scenes politics or I wasn't an office guy or a booker or a, creative creative guy on angles and stuff so i i never was really a part of that so you know when you heard rumors and things but but to me that we were wrestling and and um i told you even at the end there before uh and with turner and we all thought it was a great thing that turner was now uh back in the company financially so yeah. I, you know i really didn't um i wasn't really involved in a lot of that to be honest with you wow so for you i mean it was good yeah. times it was a good run Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But when did it start to change? Well, it really didn't. I always had kind of had a, a, a dream aspiration because at the time, WG was number one in our industry ahead yeah. of WCW. And so I kind of always said, God, what would we like to work for WG? And I bumped into Vince McMahon a couple times, uh-huh. once at a gym in Las Vegas. And I met with him one other time and 
we kind of always uh, thought and, and kind of communicated that we'd love to do business together someday. And um, when there was these rumors of WCW potentially folded, mm-hmm. um, I ended up uh, talking to Vince McMahon, and uh, I, I, we ended up agreeing that I would come work for his company. I, and we did a transitional period with the bodybuilding thing for one year. So I right. told WCW I was going to retire from wrestling for a while. I wanted more time, which was true too. I wanted more time. My family, I was working three or nights a year for a number of years yeah. traveling, which is, is a whole other story, but I was, I wasn't burnt out, but at the same time, I was like, man, it'd be nice to have some time off. So the bodybuilding thing for a year would have been a nice transition to be at home and train and not to be on the road for a year. Then the year after that, I would make my WWE debut, WWE mm-hmm. at the time. So we agreed on that, and it was a dream come true for me because WWCW, there was some turmoil going on there behind the scenes at the office that I wasn't an integral part of, but I, I knew things were happening and there were struggles there. Mm-hmm. I said, man, it might be nice to get away from that a little bit and, and take a year off with pay as a bodybuilder because, you know, we talked about earlier, I loved working out, so I'm like, man, this is like a, a win-win, and I get to then go to work for WWE. So Yeah. Well, you sure pitched enough, that idea at events, right, about happened. the WBF when he was starting it? I'm sorry, what's that? Did you pitched that idea to him, didn't you, to to Vince, just to see what, you know, take a well, shot. I contacted him, yeah. Yeah. I said, uh, I'd love to maybe do a WBF thing for a year, do a show, if you, yeah. if you thought that something that I could do. And he, he thought about it, got back to me, he said, you know what, that might not be a bad idea. So were you, you going to be, were you going to be like one of the, one of the, uh, you know, the stable that he had as I mean, an actual bodybuilder or more of a kind of a promotional guy that would go around and help promote promotional. it. I did the show he yeah. did with Corey Everson's sister and him and I and Corey. And I got real close to Vince doing that. It was a great way to get to know Vince. And, um, and I was going to be a guest poser at the show. So that was the game plan. And of course I had a the, motorcycle wreck for the right. show. So I was not the guest poser, but, um, I ended up making my debut, uh, at the Royal Rumble, I think it was, in Sacramento in February the following year. Yeah. But let's back up, though, because I, I, I really wanted to talk to you about the WBF because uh, it's, it, a lot of people don't know uh, all, what, all that went on with that. Now, I was a part of that, uh, that event that took place out in Los Angeles, and okay. uh, it, was, it was a disaster. And, and then mm-hmm. you getting hurt, because, folks, if, you, if you'll remember back, it's – you know, Lex mentioned the transition here. He was, you know, left the WCW and was going to have this kind of a gap year before he would join the WWF WWE. So uh, he was going to come on board with with Vince's new venture, the World Bodybuilding Federation. And what he had done, had gone, he had gone out and spent a a a, a got tractor trailers of cash on this on this venture because he Vince wanted. Vince is not to, scared, is he? No, and he wanted to get into the supplement business. That was kind of the bottom line of it. IcoPro, mm-hmm. remember? So, Which is huge, a huge business to this day. My gosh. Yeah. In multi, multi-billion dollar industry. So not a bad idea. No, if no, absolutely. But uh, his idea was to bring in these bodybuilders and give them gimmicks, and they would you know, transform the bodybuilding industry. Well, also at mm-hmm. that time, the... Uh, these rumors, the the investigation started uh, swirling uh, regarding steroids. So part of this was they they banned these guys from doing any substance. They were testing them. So right. uh, 
looked horrible. I mean, they couldn't, these guys weren't used to, to working out without them. And so anyway, they did this pay-per-view event. You get hurt. So that's another, you know, strike on, uh, this, this thing. It was doomed, I think from, from the start, but, uh, mm. do you, what, what, and I know that you, like you said, Vince, uh, takes a chance on these. It may have worked in other circumstances, but, uh, he what swings for the fence, doesn't he? Huh? He swings for the fence, doesn't he? I love well, yeah, I'll be swinging again with XFL coming back. So yeah, he absolutely yeah. got to love the. Yeah. yeah. He's a he's a he is a viral entrepreneur. He can't help it, man. He loves yes. it. I love a that visionary. about him, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. But it's funny how things play out because, like you said, with the the WBF didn't last much longer after that. Um. But you do make your debut uh, in '93, uh, and you said it was at a. Is that the Royal Rumble? You did the guest posing, right? It was by, introduced by Bobby the Brain Heaton. My yeah. gosh, as my manager, Bobby the Brain Heaton, and wow, it was great. It was very exciting. You already came out with the narcissist. That was the, the going to be your gimmick, right? It was that was when they first introduced her. It was. Her, her, her it wasn't very long, but that was it. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing uh, how you know the, the, it, it it turned out that you even saved your arm uh, that you would be uh, you know being able to continue on your career yet alone I mean pose and then yet alone step back into the ring. Yeah, looking back, Sean, I was a miracle of God. Huh. Um, I didn't give him credit for it back then, but uh, be able to go from that near fatal motorcycle wreck and my arm hanging from the flesh Jeez. to be able to have use of that arm again and be in the ring posing four or yeah. five months later was absolutely incredible yeah for sure so i i think the real coming out though you you did mention that you you know they did introduce you there but was uh was wrestlemania and uh oh Caesar's I, palace yeah, yeah. you wow. and, and you and kurt big outdoor show yeah oh yeah now you, you talk Here's about that man you mentioned going you know uh that being really the the event that started it and mm -hmm. you're uh, Kurt Hennig is your opponent. Do you really oh, think, man. and, and you, I, people may have heard you tell the story before that you get out there in the ring and, and, uh, you know, Kurt says, what are we doing? What do you think is a rib or, right? or, or, or not? I mean, oh, yeah, I think it was a, I, in retrospect, <laughs> I know in retrospect, I think it was a rib yeah. and, uh, you know, the guys contest each other a little bit. I being always confident. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm with one of the greatest workers of our, of our era, yeah. Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. This is a night off. My debut is in the bag, man. I, we got this. And so we went over the match. Like we always do in the back a little bit. I go, man, Mr. Perfect's going to walk me through this. I'm going to have a great debut match. This is wow. Isn't this great? So I kind of just kicked back and kicked my feet up and didn't think much about it and got in the ring and we lock up and Kurt goes, what are we doing? What are we doing? I go like, what do you mean? What are we doing? I go, you're leading the match. He goes, ah, what are we doing? And so we, I ended up having to try to lead us through the match. I hadn't really thought about or memorized or put any thought to at all. And he had me end up calling the whole match. So we ended up having, of course, anything Kurt does is good. We ended up yeah. having not the kind of match I thought we'd have because I was calling the match, not Kurt. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten half of it because I never put any time or thought into it. Talk about being overconfident. And uh, so that was an interesting debut uh, at WrestleMania, but still was a special, 
I mean, when you look back, the heck and he, what kind of match it was necessarily. It was a special moment to the, to make your WrestleMania debut for sure at WrestleMania nine. And he kept that up through the whole match. Absolutely. <laughs> Other than Owen Hart, who was the greatest ribber ever. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, Kurt, man. I loved Kurt. We were good friends. Yeah. We were becoming great friends. I was a great friend with Owen as well. Kurt was known to be one of the best behind-the-scenes rivers in the business. So if I had to guess, he never came clean. But I would say he, that was definitely a rib by Kurt, knowing his sense of humor. Well, he would go to great lengths to set up a rib, that's for sure. But, no doubt. Uh, but uh, I don't uh-huh. know, during during a match at WrestleMania, I guess that has to be up there among the <laughs> the very I'm best. I'm sure and if you, I was blank as well, he would have bailed me out, Sean. Yeah, yeah. But, I was uh, completely blank. He probably would have bailed me out. Yeah. So uh, do you uh, believe that the narcissist was was really over uh, when you, uh, you know, and it, but it didn't last a long time, but did you feel that that gimmick really worked? Or at some point they decide, okay, we got to change up here. No, they, we, I loved it. They loved it. It was a blast. But, um, when the summer came up, I debuted in the spring, obviously yeah. uh, late winter, early spring. Um, this is now, I don't know this for a fact, but I heard that the reason I was switched. So he called me into his office in like May and said, I'm going to switch you babyface." I go, what? Because I was just getting over as the narcissist. And yeah, right. They said they loved it, and I loved it. I'm like, I loved being a heel. And I was like, what? He goes, we're going to switch your baby face. You're going to be in a bus tour. Unless especially you're going to slam Yokozuna, the world champion on USS and Trevor on July 4th, live. Mm. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, only Vince could be. But if, if you got to be around Vince, well, you were. He's yeah. just so, talk about confidence, right? Oh yeah. Not to try new things. Confident as an entrepreneur. He's not scared. He goes, Nope. That's what I do. Now I heard I heard, and this is only a rumor, he never said this, but he was under the impression that Hulk Hogan was not gonna ever wrestle full time again. Mm-hmm. And that was his guy, right? Babyface guy. And that Bret Hart was thinking of not wrestling full time anymore. So he's, I think I heard the rumor Vince said, I got to find me a baby face. Yeah. Try Lex yeah. at this spot. See if I heard that it. was kind of the, I think that was kind of what was behind it. Yeah. But I don't know for sure. That would be a question for Vince. Yeah. Well, I think I it, it made sense. It yeah. It certainly made sense because, uh, you know, they were, they were scrambling in a sense to, you know, make that happen. Warrior wasn't around anymore. And, you know, right. And so, Vince was always a babyface-driven co- company with the good guy, not versus like WCW NWA was always a heel-driven world champion company usually. Whereas mm-hmm. Vince's company was from Bruno Sarum and Artino usually on. Usually the drive, you know, the merchandise sales, everything. It was a a babyface-driven company. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I it, it kind of makes sense when I think about it yeah. potentially, but I don't I don't know whether that's a fact or not. Yeah. But the, the, uh, the fanfare for this was gigantic. I, like you said, it was going to be, you know, it was going to be on July 4th, uh, you know, and, uh, on the intrepid, this, uh, massive aircraft carrier parked on the, uh, uh, you know, off of Manhattan there. And, uh, you're going to slam Yokozuna and that there are so many things that could have gone wrong that day. Right. <laughs> And they did. 
<laughs> I was getting to that, but go on. <laughs> well, first of all, we'd only done a walkthrough. I never had actually slammed them prior to that event on the USF Jeff because they didn't want Yokozuna to get hurt. Yeah. The, we walked through to the headquarters and we got into position for what we were going to do where I moved out of the turnbuckle and he, he staggered out after uh, he trashed the turnbuckle. He'd stagger out and I'd slam him to help use his momentum because we didn't know if he could be slammed because Yoko was bottom heavy, number one. I didn't realize till a couple of years later on a truck scale in Germany at an airport, Yoko weighed 627 pounds. Yeah. Well, that, so you, we didn't that, know if he could be slammed, period. Yeah. He well, as you said, you he had to be, he had to help. Yeah. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> Big time. Yeah. The only, only thing I had to do was once he got up, I had to brace myself. And once he got up to shoulder level on me yeah. by, by shifting his weight, I had to try to turn him over. And we were like, can that be done? And Vince was so kind. He goes, Lex, with your strength training background, everything, you're, you'll be fine. You know, Vince, he goes, don't worry about it. I'm a, but I, Sean, I was worried about it. I was so nervous. And to make it worse on the day of the event, they're all setting it up and nobody can slam them. They're going to fly me in at the end as a surprise last minute guy when no one yeah. else could do it to save the day dressed in red, white, and blue shirt with cowboy boots on. Now, mm. I, first of all, the helicopter ride was some ex Vietnam pilot guy. Oh. I never did see that guy again. He was flying me sideways over the Hudson. Oh, I almost wet my pants on the ride. <laughs> but now I'm already a nervous wreck. I slide <laughs> under the bottom rope to get to hype the crowd as a push Bobby Heenan side. And I'm my cowboy boots, worn on the bottom and the canvas on the ring. I'm on ice skates. Like I'm oh, a boy. Skate. Oh my God. No yeah. So I'm supposed to get nose to nose with Yoko. And we do the spot where I move out of turnbuckle after we lock up. And I, he, he turnbuckles. So he charges the squash. And I move, he staggers out. I slam him. That's what, that was the spot. However, when we're going nose to nose before we go into the spot, we're supposed to trash talk each other. A little. My eyes, we're as big as saucers. I'm looking at Yoko going, I called him Yoko for short for Yoko. Soon I go, Yoko, yeah, and I were yeah. great friends. I go, Yoko, we can't do it. We can't do it. I go, I'm on skates. I have no footing. And Yoko was actually, they, they advertised him as a Samoan, uh, as a sumo wrestler. For right, right. As a Samoan island boy. And yeah. Sean, you know how those island boys are, right? Said, oh, yeah. No problem, brah. There's no problem, brah. Just move out of turnbuckle and get a wide stance. He goes, I'll do the rest. Yoko, I laugh at people. Uh, I tell him the story. I go, literally slammed himself. And he was so agile at that weight. And oh, I know. I was. Yeah, he was yeah. So, unbelievable on his feet. Unbelievable. Unbelievable athlete. He literally slammed himself. And then I was so excited that he had slammed himself. And I was so relieved. I went nuts. I go, I'm like, we did it. He did it. We did it. Like he did it. But I was so excited <laughs> that that enthusiasm came yeah. out and the crowd fed off it. People who listened to my story, who didn't know wrestling was all predetermined back then go, you mean, Lex, you knew you were going to do it ahead of time. Yeah. I'm like, man, I hate to spoil one of your childhood memories, but yeah, I did. They go, you can see the disappointment on their face. I'm like, Oh wow. <laughs> but then it kind of brightened up again. They yeah. go, wow. You must have been a really good actor then, Lex, because you were you acted so excited after you slammed him if you already knew you were gonna do it. I go, Well, 
I go, number one, I wasn't sure. Number two, I tell them the story about being on ice skates. I said, I was so relieved that I, that the slam had come off that I was absolutely sick. I, that wasn't acting. That was for real. Yeah. I'm not a good actor. Yeah, so, but to pull off that, that my, that's, yeah, pull off that bump. Story, the Manhattan skyline in the background done live. Like only Vince can promote. It was it was it was an incredible moment in my career for sure. Now I want to. Uh, you may not recall this, but uh, I've heard it a few times. And uh, somebody sent me a question about it, Adrian Guevara, uh, and said that uh, Jim Cornette said that the ring was so hot from the sun because it was a hot day out there uh, during the, the Yokozuna Slam contest that Yoko had when he first went into the ring he had kicked off his flip flops and apparently. The the uh, canvas or the mat was really unbelievably hot. Uh, did you ever hear about that? Because I had heard it from uh, other places before, from other people before that he, you know, that he was hopping around because his feet were melting on that on that canvas. Oh wow, Sean, I never heard that before. That's really? a new tidbit. I can add that to my story. Can I borrow yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> absolutely. But That's like I said, I've, I've heard it like this. Yeah, we got this question, but that uh, the well, the legend goes that. that when yeah that when he went into the ring, I had my slippery I had my slippery ice skate cowboy boots on, so I didn't have to deal with the heat coming off the canvas as much as him. Yeah, I wasn't barefoot. Well, that's funny that you'd never heard that before, but that, I really I'd heard that from more no, than one person. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that. So you pulled it off. Yeah, that was uh, really uh, one Yoko, of Yoko pulled it off. Yes. <laughs> So are you saying My that God, Hulk Hogan didn't slam Andre uh, all the way, that maybe Hulk got a little help from the boss? You think? You think you Andre could have been, been slammed unless he was fully cooperating and wanted to do it? Are you kidding me? Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, so this yeah. thing wraps up, and then you go on the Lex Express, um, this tour yeah. across the country, which was another, you know, like this barnstorming. Uh, it was a great, the whole the, the motion of this was great. Uh, did you enjoy it, though? It was. Yeah, it was, I mean, it had moments, but, um, because we were doing stuff from, from 6 a.m. till yeah. nine at night at every time we went to, but, and then autograph signings, it was exhausting, but exhilarating at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you're doing radio shows. You're going to these local TVs who TV, TV stations. I was with the weather, man, you name yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You probably got the pretty local, good at it. The local weather, stuff, <laughs> autograph signings at shopping malls. I did it all. Yeah. Lex Express, we aim to please, it, but it was great. My family got to come along a little bit on my son, daughter, my, my wife at the time. And we, it, it, the, yeah, some great memories, some really cherished great memories. So it was, it, the crowd responses everywhere were incredible. I mean, it was very well done. It was, it was a really great tour that ended up all the way in the, in Detroit. So it was, yeah. it was oh. incredible. How many time. cities did you hit? Do you yeah. remember? Man, I couldn't even count them all. Sean. Really? We were sometimes two, three cities in one day. Yeah. You covered yeah, a good, I was, you covered pretty much the whole United States, right? We did. Wow. We did. It was, it was well done. Yeah. We had a little tour manager with us and a full-time driver and, and it, it was something else. It was a whirlwind. Yeah. So that didn't last long either. So uh, what happened with the All-American? Um... You know, we we originally, I knew I wasn't going to win SummerSlam, and Vince. Yeah, but wasn't that was a that consideration it, though? Then wouldn't it didn't then Brett got it in the mix? I mean, what? No, what's... That was if it was. It was never if that was 
the plan that was never spoken to me by Vince. What about getting um, the he said, Did he ever say this is no, what, what? he never people say, oh, he promised me to no. He said, if we put the world title on you, because I think it would be really special right. if we did it at WrestleMania 10 in the garden, because that was a special place to Vince. So that was the premise. It was always a premise to have SummerSlam, have mm-hmm. uh, then go with Yoko and take her for a while, then build things up with me to have a rematch with Yoko at WrestleMania 10. Right. And there was never any promise from him about me being world champion or winning the belt ever from Vince. That, that, I, that a lot of people talk about that. And there's a yeah. lot of uh, rumors about that. That was never promised me, nor did I expect that it should be promised to me at all. So how did it play out? Then? I mean, who would want to be world champion? But I mean, that was never yeah. spoken or promised to me ever. So how did it play out then? We ended up having the Royal Rumble where Brett and I right. hit the floor at the same time. We, had a, we ended up having a three-man for the title at WrestleMania where I uh, wrestled Yoko first, and Brett ended up wrestling Yoko at the Garden, and WrestleMania 10, and Brett ended up winning the belt. And Brett really was the crowd favorite back then. They loved Brett. So, I mean, but, but like, like you said, that that's kind of because I know everybody at that time expected that it was, uh, you know, because a lot of people thought that that's what that you would become the champion. And uh, and uh, I'm just what, what do you think happened between that period of time? And then, like, just because they thought Brett was bringing more. Uh, what do you think it was? That'd be a good question for the powers to be. Like I said, I was never an office guy or got involved in politicking or behind the scenes stuff. Um, I certainly don't think they made a bad choice, Sean. Brett's a good career was often a good champion. So I didn't feel cheated or slighted or overlooked or I wasn't promised anything. So I was like, wow, I was happy for Brett. Brett and I actually traveled together and were very good friends at the time. Brett introduced me to Starbucks coffee and I'm a Starbucks guy to this day. So I, I wasn't upset at all that they, they went with Brett. So from my standpoint at all, there's rumors that I had given away a finish at WrestleMania and a bar the night before. And this yeah. changes my, I'm like, what? I was, yeah. I was in with my family the night before right. and, and uh, at WrestleMania, I, I wasn't even set foot near a bar. So I was like, that's crazy, but yeah. all just rumors. Yeah. Yeah. Folklore. Well, I'm glad you, you put that to rest because, uh, you know, yeah. I think people probably wonder to this day, he must still be upset about that or they didn't give him the no, him the belt. And, yeah. So you no, saw it as opportunity, uh-uh. no matter what with them, that you were on the biggest stage in the world still. Absolutely. Yeah. Once again, don't forget that undercurrent of theme. I never lacked confidence. So I didn't think, wow, if yeah. I don't come through and win the belt, my career's over. I didn't, that never would ever in my mind. Yeah. Never did throughout my career. Yeah. So you, you uh, also, you know, you mentioned Brett and then also uh, on the family, you became close with Davy Boy Smith, too. Uh, Man, did you prior yeah. to that, did you, you know, or, or just had seen him here and there? When did you guys become close? Well, I, I was loved, loved, loved the British Bulldogs. My gosh. Uh-huh. One of the greatest tag teams ever. So um, I was at, really admired those guys. And the first time I met Davy Boy, he'd come in from England and, we both loved going to the gym and boy, we just hit it off right away. We were like, like we'd known each other all our lives. So 
even before we were put together as a tag team, Davey Boy and I, and ended up Owen, Owen Hart, and you talk about two funny guys. Mm-hmm. I was traveling the car with Owen and Davey Boy. My God. gosh, it was nonstop laughter. Those guys have their greatest sense of humor. They're, yeah. great, they're both some of the best rivers, other than Kurt. Um, I, I was friends with the top three rivers ever, and I got to travel with Owen and Davey Boy, and uh, just we ended up Davey Boy and I ended up becoming a tag team, the Allied Powers, and I got to travel with him over in Europe. And boy, you talk about a superstar! To this day, I mean, they love Davey yeah. Boy. My gosh, Sean! I got to stay at his parents' house, and we go down the street to his local pub and hang out. And we drove. The rest of the guys were on the bus. They let Dave and I drive around in UK when we toured there in his, in his Jaguar. Oh my gosh, we had a great time. Davey Boy and I were what a great wrestler and what a what a great guy, fun guy. I got to know his family really well, his wife and kids. And when I, we were in Tampa, I stayed at his house instead of that hotel. And just uh, what a great guy. Really miss yeah. Davey. Did uh, did you see did you see uh, uh, I don't know the the stirrings of trouble with him because you know it was that 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 unbelievable match at SummerSlam with Brett and uh, you know this this Brett tells this, this as the legend goes that uh, you know Davy Boy was supposedly out with an injury but had done uh, drugs all summer and hadn't been in contact with him. And uh, had showed up for that match where they hadn't even gone over the you know a, a, a entire step of that match, and yet it turned out to be if you I don't know if you've ever you know watched it recently or watched it is it was one of the greatest matches ever. I mean it was just incredible the way they pulled that off. But at the time after that, did you well, see look because down the ring? I mean they they grew up together. Yeah. I'm sorry, I got delayed, Sean. I'm sorry. No worries. Go ahead. No, but I was just saying, did you see, I don't know, uh, a, a dark side to him that it was that things were not because Dynamite Kid was gone. Uh, that's another conversation in itself. But I know Brett at that time was really worried about him. And uh, I've also talked with with Harry, you know, his son, and uh, mm-hmm. he doesn't remember a whole lot, but he just knew that there was there was there was trouble with his dad. Mm. But then you didn't you didn't feel like you didn't see any of that with him. Well, you know, for me, um, the the back in my days when I were I traveled with Ric Flair, Sean. Yeah, I mean, the guys had a work hard, play hard mentality. So yeah. no, I didn't see Big Daniel. Davey Boy loved life just like Rick does to this mm-hmm. day, and yeah, he partied a little bit and. And and like to have a good time, so I didn't think maybe I'm oblivious. I don't know, but at the time I I knew Davy Boy and we had a great time traveling together, and I never saw anything that concerned me that was like dangerous, because it was kind of the mentality back then: work hard, play hard, and you know, do your business in the ring. But then afterwards, you know, hey, you know, pedal the metal, kind of, you know, like a lot of young guys do, whether it's rock bands or or. I'm glad the guys don't have that mentality for the most part nowadays from what I see. Yeah. But back then that was kind of the mentality yeah. back in my day. So, and we lost a lot of guys uh, to that, to that myself, very close to being one of them down the line. So it kind of happened slowly. I know that after I went back to WCW and wasn't around Davey boy, I had heard rumors that 
oh man, Davy Boy's really partying a little too hard. I heard those rumors. But yeah. when I was with him, we hung together and took care of business at the gym and partied a little bit after the matches, but I never saw a sign that I thought a dark side, like you're saying, or that he was in trouble or anything. I yeah. didn't see that. Well, and also at the time too, and like you said, Lex, it was, you know, that's the way it was, like they say, a rock and roll lifestyle. Everybody. Yeah, wide open. Was, you know, yeah. if you weren't doing that, you were the, like the oddball. No like, boundaries. who was, who no was that guy? They aren't always good. So, yeah. 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 Well, you know, it, it is a tragedy, though, that, uh, like. In retrospect. Yeah, no you words. do. I mean, but, yeah, boundaries but, are good, but back yeah. then, in yeah. retrospect, we, we were just all wide open, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Traveling so, 200 so, plus nights a year and not sleeping and staying up too too much late at night and partying and, and going to the gym and when working hard in the ring and just that was that was the lifestyle back then. Yeah. Yeah. And uh at the time of the business was not a great time for the WWE, WWF, WWE. Um with a lot was going on then. And it seemed like you you know saw a little bit of the writing on the wall in 94, I guess, when uh you know, I, th- I think you worked for a period of time without even a contract that uh, you'd always had this relationship with Vince, but, uh, 95. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see things were, you know, starting to, you know, where this, you always worried about your family taking care of them first that, you know, this, this may not be, uh, you know, this is a company that's not in the greatest shape. I've got to look for other opportunities. Uh, what was happening at that time? Well, for me at the time, I felt like um, WWE was I was kind of we were talking about doing maybe a kind of a new direction for me. They were talking about splitting Davy Boy and I up as as singles, uh-huh. which would have been fine with both of us. Yeah. We love working together as a tag, but and we were talking about what direction we were going to take with me. And I always had a great relationship with Vince, and and yeah. so we were. Uh, speaking about that, but I, I did give my notice, my 90 day notice and Vince wanted me to stay there. I wanted to stay there. I really had no intention on leaving, but I just had a happen chance phone call that summer Yeah. with, and Vince and I were working towards an agreement where I could do maybe some things on the outside and in the, in the fitness realm to make some extra money contractually to allow me the opportunity to do that. So that's what we were all working towards. And so I got a, just a happen chance phone call from my, my best buddies ever staying yeah. in the conversation. I just mentioned just by chance that, yeah, you know, I'm trying to work things out here. I'm not under contract anymore. This thing was like, what'd you say? <laughs> I go, well, I'm not under contract anymore. My contract expired a couple months ago. I gave not any notice, but we're going to work things out. And cause you're telling me you're working in WB on their TV and you're not under contract. Yeah. I go, no, we're just working on handshake. Just day to day. So Sting went to Eric. I didn't really know about the Sting had told mentioned the new Monday night launch, but Sting went to Eric, pitched it. Eric didn't really think that much of me. He wasn't I wouldn't say he didn't think much of me, but he wasn't a big Lex fan. But Sting set up the meeting and and I met with Eric and they ended up bringing me in for that first Monday show. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, and you mentioned that, I mean, and, and people know the Eric story. Eric tested me, brought me in for low money. Yeah. Um, to see what my attitude was. Eric heard, oh, I heard Lex might not have a good attitude and things like that. So he made me a, what would we consider a lower, low offer for 
a guy at my position in the business at the time, I guess others would say. And I just like, man, I, you give me the opportunity. I'll, I'll earn my, earn my contract. Yeah. I'll earn your confidence, earn my contract. And Eric all the way through was right there. He, he was a man of his word. He goes, well, okay, if you succeed and things take off, I'll take care of you. And yeah. Here's what I'm going to bring you in for. And Eric yeah. said that he kind of was testing the waters with me and it worked out great for both of us. So yeah. it was well, enough to be a great move, but sting was the impetus behind all that. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, to Bischoff, then it, it really was war. He was out to win at any cost. And I know that part of that deal with you is that you were not to tell Vince you were leaving. You, you were going to just show up on this yeah, new program. Uh, that was, that was, that but was rough, as, right. But as you mentioned, I, I was though, you, told to give, yeah, I'm but you also, you, ahead, you did mention though, that you, you did have a 90 day notice. So they didn't have any real legal rights to you. Uh, probably Vince would have appreciated you telling him, of course, but did you, you think, is that, is that a decision you regret or it's you even looking back, what else would you have done? Um, I would have definitely loved to be able to tell Vince that I was leaving and I had an opportunity to go there and I lo- thank you for, for everything you've done with me and for me here. And we were, we were a close person. He had me to his house, Sean, all the time. And we worked out together. And so, yeah, I was very uncomfortable even back then. Yeah. I was a different person back then. I was more about me, myself, and I when it came to contracts and money. And I always justified it by, well, I got to take care of my family without going into detail. But I was, I was very uncomfortable with doing that. But that was the, the internet had broke. And there weren't many surprises anymore. Mm-hmm. And Eric said, "Well, if I bring you in, though, there's one condition. Right, it's got to be a surprise." I'm like, "Man, I, I can't give notice." And he goes, "No. If it, if you give notice, the deal's off." Mm-hmm. So, so looking back, would you, would you uh, wouldn't have done anything different, right? What's that? I said, looking back, you wouldn't have done anything different because you would have lost that deal and not been a part of what. Looking took back place. through my my eyes, I have now. Yeah. Well, if I was the man I am today, by the grace of God, I would have talked to Vince and given my notice if I was going to leave. Uh-huh. If that blew the deal, that would blow the deal. Right. I want. I would now, today, today's Lex or Larry, I would want to be a man of character and integrity. So, um, mm-hmm. I would hope. I would certainly hope that, looking back now, I would have gone to Vince and been a man's man and told him what was going to happen. And if I told Eric, if that, that blows the deal, and that blows the deal, I would love right. to do business with right. So that's what I would like to and hope, of course, I would do now. But that's not who I was back then. So at the time, I made the decisions that I, even though I was uncomfortable with, I went ahead and made that decision at the time. Have you ever been but able to have that conversation like with Vincent? I mean, were you, have you ever been able to tell him that? Like you said, if I, I was the man I am today. The conversation. Um, I don't know if we've had that particular conversation. We've seen and met each other uh, a couple times over the years. He's always been very um, gracious and, and like, he, uh, you know, Vince. Yeah. And so um, he's checked on me when there, I went through some dark times to see how I was doing. If, it, if not me directly through a third party. So, um, you know, I... It, so from his end, I, I don't I don't think there's, I'm, I'm with their ambassador program now, which I'm very thankful right. for. And, um, so, 
Um, but I definitely, um, I've, I, I have not had that direct conversation with him. But if we ever do talk about that, I would definitely love to tell him that for sure. Yeah. I wasn't well, even, even the guy I was back then, I wasn't comfortable with it. So I definitely uh, did not like doing that. Yeah. Uh, th- we could spend a lot of time talking about uh, what happened with the, the Monday Night Wars. But if mm-hmm. you could kind of capsulize that and what really uh, happened and why you think it worked so well, because um, was it uh, the WWE uh, dropping its guard, maybe not uh, taking it seriously enough, or was there just magic happening down south with an incredible mix of talent? Um. I would probably go with the latter. Um, yeah. It was just an incredible time. Ended up being great for both companies. It was just a magical well, time. For the, wor- for the world of professional wrestling. <laughs> Ratings were sky high. The yeah. People tuned into both shows. It was just a, the Monday Night Wars was just a incredible time. The, when the outsiders came in, Kevin and Scott, and people were like, wow, is this a shoot? And I mean, it's just, everybody was on their toes. What was going to happen every week? It was just a incredible time people ask me the highlights of my career obviously being with the horsemen um the less express in the yokozuna slam run war but being a part integral part of that monday night wars was definitely a, a huge highlight of my 15-year career from 86 to 01 sean just a it was I, man i just once again rode that wave but sean yeah. <laughs> it was a fun time to be in wrestling for yeah. sure well, and you, and you talk to a lot of people that were part of that experience, and they say there was so much, you know, turmoil, and it was crazy, and, and they didn't get to enjoy it. But what, it sounds like it was a different experience for you. Oh, I had a great time. I can't speak <laughs> for them, but I was like, wow. Once yeah. again, don't forget, I wasn't like an office guy or behind-the-scenes guy or right. jockeying for position guy. I was just, I, had to, I just had to show up for work, and man, what fun time to show up for work, right? Sold out arenas, and I'm making men, the contracts got bigger and bigger and I'm making millions of dollars per year. And so I'm like, Whoa, you know? So yeah, it was a great time for the fans, for us, the guys, more money. It was man. Tucker, what's not to like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, incredible. Now, what is, what are some of the things that really stand out? I, I, I would imagine your, uh, your feuds with, uh, that involved Hulk Hogan and the NWO, uh, Really, what stands out from all that, those moments? Oh, just uh, the crowds and the packed buildings and the excitement in the buildings that we talked about earlier, that uh, just amazing, um, the heat that those guys had. I mean, we'd go off Monday Night Raw, and the, I mean, people wanted, like, wanted to get in the ring. And people knew at that point wrestling was, most of it was predetermined, of course, most of the yeah. but it was amazing. <laughs> Uh, what was going on? It was, it was crazy. I mean, I remember laying in the ring and they go off the ring and lay and leave all of us laying. Sometimes thing would come out of the ceiling. Sometimes he wouldn't and chase him off, but they'd lay all of us out. Thing, thing would come to the rescue. The crowd would get go crazy and yeah. on to, for the build up to sting and Hogan, but we all got left laying every Monday night. And that was unprecedented. I mean, every Jeez. night for weeks yeah. and months and months. And was kept on building and building, and more guys would come from WWE and join the WWE and just got stronger and stronger. It was like a tidal wave. 
And yeah. um, I remember laying in the ring and that people would throw beer and nachos and hot dogs <laughs> at those guys. And I, I'm on the ground. So I, they didn't mean So you're at a table. Tobacco juice. <laughs> I'm getting pelted. I had yeah. to go back and shower all the stuff off me. Nachos and tobacco juice, cups of spit. And oh my gosh, it was the heat those guys had. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I was the indirect recipient of it, laying there on the mat, yeah. underneath their feet. It was crazy. Well, they say 83 weeks. A lot of times, uh, John, people didn't know. I had to come back out and wrestle a dark match. Afterwards, they wanted the crowd to go happy. So I had to go back. I had to get laid out and covered in nachos and beer. I used to shower off with my stuff on, including my boots in the ring, and walk back out for a dark match. <laughs> Jeez. Talk about crazy. My gosh. Well, 83 weeks, it was, uh, it was a hell of a run. Uh, but yeah. then, you know, the, the WWE... Uh, catches fire with the attitude era and you know dx and uh stone cold and the rock uh when did you see that that wave start to flatten out with the wcw um you know we didn't really seem feel like and uh, until the very end that we were flattening out yeah. we felt like they were surging from my perspective uh-huh and you know, we talked about highlights. I remember my, that lot when I, Hogan chose me to we wanted to give the fans a little crumb, and I won the world title live on national TV against Hogan. And I remember Detroit, the crowd went crazy, and then he took it back the following week and uh, out to Hog Wild out in uh, right pay per view every year. But I mean, national television, I mean, but, you put no, hadn't been done, yeah, right? Yeah, that was unbelievable. unbelievable. I didn't even know I was going to win the title until I got to, almost was literally going to the ring that night. Yeah. And so, all that stuff, all that to say, though, Sean, it, to me, up until the very end, until th- we, knew, we knew things were going down for us a little bit as far as storyline stuff and maybe the end real thing might have run its course. But then we had a huge surge with the Wolfpack. Yeah. Uh, with the Red and Black. Yeah. So really up until almost the very end, we didn't see that. So even when things went down a little bit with our ratings and then they were winning, we just thought it was a reboot and that we'd make a comeback. We didn't realize that um, the company was going to be either sold or terminated. So yeah. um, we, we all felt that ah, we're, we're going to be able to reboot this thing and they might be beating us now for a while, but uh, the wars will continue. Yeah. Which of course, in history of wrestling, no, no, we, we end up selling to, and I kind of knew that WCW was owned by AOL time Warner, the parent company. They kind of want to take a different direction. So, I felt it's just my opinion personally from behind yeah. the scenes. A couple of times after the AOL time Warner, big time executive at some events, they always kind of, they thought wrestling was cute and, but they were looking for big time TNT TBS branding of their networks with, with, uh, um, movies and, and, uh, cop show content, which was real popular time. So they weren't really looking for us to be their mainstay. I yeah. think they once they saw an opportunity to sort of move us out, they they took the opportunity. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the uh, the greatest deal ever made was Vince buying that uh, that library for yeah, a song. I mean, yeah. it was the money that he paid for that was a uh, a pittance compared to what I'm sure he's made already. That that was just unbelievable. But uh, but I think the, that was more of a corporate AOL Time Warner. Yeah, you know, they didn't get it. They didn't know what they had. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. 
So they were a wrestling company, Vince was a wrestling company. Yeah. So Vince so, won. Um, huh? Vince wins. Oh yeah. He always does. One night wars, Vince won. <laughs> That's right. Time Warner bailed out. So prior to this though, uh Lex, when when do you start spiraling? Is there a lot more going on behind the scenes that nobody knows? Uh, with what you're doing and your, and how your life is being impacted by it. Well, the work hard, play hard, uh, ended up catching up with me with the play hard. When and did this, when did this start happening though? It was really like you, you, when you look back where you crossed over into, you know, where it was, you were in trouble. I would say when I started, um, with the pills, you know, we all hear about the opioid epidemic and I do a lot of yeah. drug awareness stuff today it's, as a yeah. speaker. Yeah. Um, it was a wow. Lex is messed up on, on uh, opioids, or we can call it that back down on pills and call guys pot, the pill heads. Um, I uh, started out with uh, some injuries and some things like a lot of guys could say and justify it. I, I, take, yeah. I ended up taking some some painkillers for a big match because I had some injuries, and then uh, we take them a little bit to help par- the party afterwards. We mix it with the alcohol to get a little bit of a buzz afterwards, celebrate. Um, I ended up starting taking some before some of my big workouts because they all, oh, wow, did you ever take one with coffee before a workout? Those, uh, some Vicodin. And I just gradually really evolved slowly with me, Sean, that I never really saw it coming until I was uh, hooked. Yeah. You know, so well, I was losing a lot of my friends through it, but I thought it never happened to me, and I never thought I was hooked. Well, I, yeah. can, get, I can get off the pills anytime. We we all think that, right? And, well, and- uh, well, I'm also, sure but a lot of, of the guys never thought they had a problem. Yeah, I was going to say that was Sorry, the lifestyle, though. You guys would, you know, and yeah. you got to look at it. You're the the uh, about you're in the ring, so your body's taking a beating. It's like getting in a car wreck every day. So you got to take something to manage mm-hmm. that because you got to do it again the next day. Then you've well, got. Tom, we don't have to. We, we chose to. Well, exactly, and uh, but but you're going to do it about his yoga mats and his yeah. and his vitamins and his therapy and chiropractic and. Tissue yeah. massage. He had the right idea. We had the wrong idea. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> you're going to get of it. But my gosh. Yeah, but you're going to so get in the ring. Don't answer the question. My life through bad decisions on my own. I wasn't pressured. I didn't feel peer pressure. I just over time got really messed up with drugs and alcohol, and uh, became I became addicted. Uh-huh. Never would never really really admit it till really the very the very end of my addictions. So yeah, I guess got progressed over time. Yeah. I never really saw it coming. A lot of other and, people saw it coming, but I didn't. Yeah. And then when, I, when that happened, I didn't want to admit it. Yeah. Well, and there's, and a lot of wrestling fans, um, you got involved with Elizabeth Hewlett and mm-hmm. a lot of wrestling fans, Lex, remember her. And this is how I saw it too, is that, you know, she was Miss Elizabeth, the innocent woman mm-hmm. by Randy Savage's side. And then basically after she left the WWF, she disappeared in many ways to them. Like she did some, you know, spots in WCW with you. So I don't think they ever really understood who she was. And mm-hmm. can you give us some, some background on that? Because the, Randy and, and, and Liz were divorced in 92. And right. everybody know, knew of their relationship. Those who uh, worked within the company, we knew what that uh, what that relationship was. It wasn't as insane as people 
you know, make it out to be in a sense, but Randy was unbelievably protective or jealous and all these, and right. So it wasn't a rare, a real healthy relationship, but could you give us some idea of who she was? Um, and then how you two ended up together? Well, um, we were really, I mean, everybody loved and respected, uh, Miss Elizabeth, like you said, my gosh, yeah. talking yeah. about the, a uh, uh, iconic uh, woman and a man and a man a man's sport back then, right? Right. So, um, I really got to know her during the Monday Night Wars. We'd all stay at the same hotels, and we'd see each other at the building. And what I thought there's no such thing as an instant flirtation. I was obviously a married man and had yeah. no business uh, with any other women. Looking back on it now, but um, work hard, play hard. Um, over time, we got to know each other a little bit at the building. Um, never any thoughts of her or I like hooking up or anything. I just, and then she was married. I was married. Mm-hmm. She had remarried someone. It was, Randy was a long time ago, and he had brought other women like to the buildings at the go to the ring with them. So that was long done with. And she had remarried a guy in South Florida. So what started out as I thought is innocent flirtation a little bit. Uh, with a lot of us, the Nitro girls and the guys in the hotel, you know, the you know, mix all that together, right, Sean? Yeah. After the matches with alcohol. Oh and pills boy. And, yeah. Um. Yeah. So, um, what started out as I thought was an infiltration ended up becoming a full-blown uh, extramarital affair for both of us. Yeah. And um, she ended up getting divorced and moving to Atlanta, where I lived, and it continued on and and progressed. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, something happened and she, um, the lifestyle that we were all living at the time was, you know, what we just talked about with drugs and alcohol. Um, she was, uh, partaking in that as well. Mm-hmm. And, but who would have, none of us ever anticipate, um, overdosing, which is tragically what happened was Elizabeth with Elizabeth and uh, you know, I've discussed before the night it happened. I mean, we were, I spent the day with my son and um, I came back and we ended up watching movies and popping some pills and uh, drinking some, some vodka. And um, right before I called nine one one, literally um, she was standing at the microwave. I was, I was heating us up some, Boston Market meatloaf and mashed potatoes, one of our favorites. And uh, mm-hmm. she had gotten up to the microwave to help out. I go, oh, I got this. Let's sit down. I got this. Took her her meatloaf and mashed potatoes and heated mine up and got back and sat down on the couch. And she uh, was, uh, I thought she had fallen asleep. And I told people this and when I talk about drugs, that you just never know how dangerous drugs are like Russian roulette. Yeah. One minute she was fine standing next to me at the microwave. The next minute. I thought she was asleep on the couch. I'd nudge her and say, hey, Lex, wake up. Hey, Liz, you know, wake up. Eat your, eat your, eat your, eat your grub. And she didn't respond. Mm. I'm like, wow, she's really, boy, did she pass out? So I, I set my tray down, stood up, uh, and uh, got over her and kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. Mm. And I'll just never forget, I, I pulled her eyelids back, and her eyes were, like, completely dilated. And she didn't respond. I go, uh-oh, right away, Sean, I knew something was really bad going on. 
I'm not a medic or a doctor or anything, but I ran to the phone and called 911 and tried to follow. It's really a blur to me even now. I lived right down the street from the fire department. They were there, Sean, within like two minutes. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to um, do CPR, which I didn't really know how to do, but they came in and took over and ended up carting her out of there. And I thought, wow, they're going to get her to the hospital and she's going to be okay. And she wasn't. She, I was sitting out in my front yard and they t- told me that uh, she didn't make it. So mm. I remember um, when they went through my place, they found all the drugs and alcohol that was a part of my lifestyle back then. They arrested me on drug possession. And I remember sitting in the jail cell at night realizing, wow, um, this is uh, a really dark time. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, I, I've shared this a couple of times. I, I thought about, so one time in my life, I thought about that. Talk about people, what was the low point? Like so I remember thinking about, they take your shoelaces, they take everything from you when you get checked in the jail. I was there on drug possession, on, on drugs they found. Mm-hmm. And there, cause there was a lot of big quantities. I was the big party house there. And, uh, they took me in and I was in the jail cell and they put me by myself cause, uh, they didn't want to put me in general population because people knew who I was. Yeah. Inmates get all stirred up. So I'm in the jail cell. Myself. I actually thought, wow, there's no camera here. Maybe I was trying to think of a way to end it. I thought about climbing up. There's a dividing wall in this little cell I was in by myself that shut the toilet off. I thought about maybe if I could climb up on top of that divider wall, put my hands behind my head and fall head first on the cement to the floor, I can end it all. Jeez. Mm, so that was that night. Yeah. And, um, I didn't do that, but I sure thought about it. Yeah. And that was a really dark time for me for a period of whew, a couple years, Sean. Yeah. Um, I thought my career was over. I thought, um, what happened with Liz and, um, the tragedy there, the unspeakable tragedy there. Um, people thought, wow, that might be a wake up call. I went further into it. I'm a, as I speak with you today, I'm a miracle of God to be yeah. here. You were, you, 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 you were trying to numb yourself. I went to total self medication mode. Yeah. And I got high every night. I'm, I'm, I would pop pills, drink. I mean, I wasn't trying to kill myself. But I sure was on, I, I was on the path of destruction for sure. I, I, it's a miracle I didn't overdose so many of those nights uh-huh. over the next couple of years. I ended up moving into a hotel and just uh-huh. even isolating myself. I wasn't even going out anymore. I was in a total period of isolation at that point. So prior to, that, that, prior to all that and leading up to that, to Liz's death, uh, you, the cost to your, your family too at that time was tremendous. Yeah. And um, yeah. You said you like Randy yeah, was divorced, of course, uh, you know, and uh, all the things go along with that. So, yeah, my 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 personal life had become a complete train wreck by my own bad decisions. And Randy was with the company sure. at the time. And, you know, I, I just like I said, I remember how he was when he, they were married and that would never got weird. You were never had any uh, confrontations with him or he ever said anything to you or. That never happened. You mean after Liz passed? No, even well before. While well, he knew he must have known it was going on, and oh, he did. 
Um, but they, they were divorced for what we're talking about, almost 10 years. Yeah. She'd remarried and they were long, no longer a, a part of each other's lives at all. And really, um, he was very indifferent him in the TV with them for yeah. new valets, so to speak. So, yeah, that wasn't and Randy and I had traveled together. Some of us were always got along great and trained together. So, um, from my end, and I never felt anything off Randy. I, I never felt any issue there whatsoever. Well, and what Randy, about after, though? Did you have my respect? Him, never felt that never felt an issue with Randy. And what about afterwards? What though, what about afterwards? Did I never you, saw Randy after. I never met Randy afterwards. Really? Never I had never a... was around Randy. Wow. Yeah. Huh. And and things continued. Like you said, you were just uh, out of control. And you know, I mean, thank God you ended up in jail, I guess, is the way we, we could, could say. Yeah, it. I was going to make my big debut. I tried to clean things up and get back in the gym and and get back in shape and make a get my debut up in Winnipeg, Canada. And Sure enough, I didn't have my paperwork and my passport right because at this point I was a convicted felon. You can't mm. just leave the country. I didn't get a, a signature from a judge, and they turned me away at the border and sent me back to jail for four more months. Mm. Down and back in the U.S. So much for my big wrestling debut I thought would fix everything again. Yeah. Well, you were a mess, I think, is basically what it came down to. Um, uh, like you said, living in a hotel. Had... Yeah, it was the best thing that ever could have happened to me at that point, yeah. looking back on it now. Yeah. Well, you found Christ through help. It took well, a while. I met a jail chaplain, and he, yeah. he walked me to the foot of the cross a few months later, and my life has been completely transformed. I was forgiven and redeemed and ended up being able over time to forgive myself. And move forward with my life with direction and purpose that only God can give us. Yeah. And um, God, I'm very thankful for that, Sean. God's got me in a uh, incredible place that only only He can do. So there's hope for any of us. If there's hope for me, there's hope for anybody. Yeah. But it wasn't over. There but, out there or, yeah. But your trials weren't over. Sorry, it says your trials weren't over. It, it seemed that He wanted to test you again uh, with what happened on that airplane. And a lot of folks uh, who have seen you since uh, are, you know, you're not the Lex that they they saw on the ring, and you're lucky. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, no, but I'm saying you're lucky. You're moving. Uh, uh, you're lucky. You're moving today, and I know you see that as is kind of a miracle. And and to sum it up quickly, that uh, through what you had done to your body over the years, and and uh, a few freak things that happened. Uh, uh, you know, with what with your body and and you're on an airplane and there's a blockage and uh, there's the no blood flow. Yeah, spinal cord injury. Yeah, yeah. you end up. Uh, yeah, you want me to talk about that briefly? Or yeah, yeah, because that was another test, <laughs> a major, a big one. Well, I don't know if it was a test, but it happened. I mean, um, I don't know if that was God testing me. God brought me through it, but I don't necessarily believe that was God testing me. Huh. Uh, that I. People ask me about it. I go, wow, I got almost 15 years of football and 15 yeah. years of wrestling, almost 5,000 matches. I go, I got a dozen lifetime warranties out of this body before it started breaking down. Even the top neurologists on the planet, when my spinal cord injury happened, aren't sure if wrestling or football had a direct impact on that. In other words, yeah, your type of injury, your spinal cord injury, could have happened to and does happen to people who never did sports in their life. Yeah. So we can't say it had any factor at all, or maybe it did. Yeah. 
So I, I think it may have, but the top neurologist and, and I can't say for sure, but it happened. And, and um, I was, my initial prognosis and diagnosis from getting back to your original um, statement you made, how thankful I am. I lost all my muscle and the old Lex is now a new Lex. I've been streamlined and redefined, so to speak. Yeah. I'm at 280, I'm 180. All my muscle mass was gone in a matter of a few months from a spinal cord injury. I was paralyzed wow. from neck down. But my yeah. initial prognosis, Sean, was no movement or real function to speak of from the neck down. I was going to need to be bathed, fed, driven around in a van, a motorized wheelchair. So to be able to walk some and stand some and live on my own and drive my own car and, and be independent and, and do what I can do today is another miracle of God. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful for that. So um, not complaining. Yeah. For well, sure. you were determined to be a, a C5, C6 quadriplegic. And when they delivered well, I that, I was determined to be, but that was my prognosis. Yeah, but that's what <laughs> they. The yeah, top neurologist <laughs> on the planet. So yeah, they did. That was, yeah, that they was, determined. They told me that's going to be you the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. How do you take? I mean, uh, so how thankful am I? Yeah, but when you hear heard that news, my God, what what was going on in your mind? I went that, through a I went through a couple of weeks where Lord, I love you, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I trust you. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. That verse in Proverbs 3, 5, hit home. Lord, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you. And he, over time, God walked me through it and drew me me nearer to him. And and, uh, he just uh, put people in my life and used the circumstance to do good things for other people's lives, gave me more empathy for others who have struggled with things, not just physical things, and uh, gave me a whole new perspective that I've grown as a person through my injury that I never would have had if I didn't have the injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, my, my function I have now notwithstanding, God used that as an incredible period of time in my life to learn to trust him, and, and he walked me through it. So mm-hmm. um, incredible time of growth for me as a person. God of comfort, God of comfort of all um, um, is, uh, can, can then can chunk and enable us to be a comforter to others. It's not just about, about us. I've realized that now. For, the old Lex was about me, myself, and I. Now I know it's not just about me. So I always try to, uh, not only my thankful, but try to now, you know, I, I've, I've developed unbelievable relationships with families who have brought young kids and shepherds who never had to live the life I had well into my late 40s before my injury that I've become friends with and been able to speak into their lives. God's given me the opportunity. So some really incredible things in a positive way have happened out of my injury. So it's not just about me. And uh, I, I, sometimes I miss the old Lex and being able to walk in the gym and bench press the half the gym. But it, mm-hmm. at times I like, go, you know what, if I could go back, I wouldn't change it because God said done so many wonderful things in my life as a result of the injury. So um, it's, it's uh, he's got me in a good place, Sean. I'm very, yeah. just a really good place. Do you see that as your mission now? To share share oh, your story and, and yeah. inspire really? his mission is that... my mission. Yeah, we're to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. God gives us an easy three-step plan. It gives you a peace. They talk about a peace that's best something. No matter what I accomplished, or how much money I made, no matter how well built I was, I always felt like there was something missing, something more. I tell yeah. people, but I didn't yeah. know what it was. And Sean, it was a relationship with God, the man who designed me and and gave me the breath of life. So now that I have that relationship. 
I immediately had a peace, a sense of peace and, and purpose in my life that I never had before, even though from a worldly standpoint, I had it all going on. I never felt like I did. Now I feel like the Lex I am now, I, I have that purpose and direction to love and honor God and serve others and, and share my story mm-hmm. with others that God can transform your life as well. So easy three-step plan to life now. He's made my life simple and, and complete. So I'm very thankful for that. You know, and Lex, you, you talk about your family, I mean, your your, uh, your mom and other people, but uh, mm. rarely publicly do you hear you talk about your, your family and your relationship with your with, with Brian and Ashley and, and Peggy. And have you been able to fix that uh, over the years now? Because I'm sure that was a heavy burden. Have you been able to, what is that relationship like now with them? You know, I, I reached out through the years, Sean. Um, the, I can't even imagine what I put them through in a very public way back in those days. My wife is happily remarried, which I'm so thrilled for her. Mm-hmm. Um, they move forward with their lives. They're happy that I'm in a better place now. But, you know, Sean, there's consequences for things that we did in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in a better place, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the things that happened back in the day that people might be happy for doesn't mean they want to be an integral part of your life. Mm. So I'd like to say there's been a huge happy ending and all that from my standpoint, I'd love to have a relationship with my family. That's not really there. Um, I love them. I, I pray for them and I will always seem to reach out to them now and then, but that's not um, an integral part of my life at this point. Mm. But for me and the perspective I have now, we're only here for uh a brief flicker, a blink of an eye of time compared to eternity. So um, yeah. my hope and prayer, Sean, uh, would be that I'll be able, to, that they'll get to know Jesus like I do and that I'll see him in heaven. I'll be able to spend eternity with him. Yeah. So I'd always, God's given me a big picture, picture perspective on that. And God's also taught me that, hey, um, there's consequences for things that happened in the past as well. Yeah. Well, I... That's kind uh, of I... A, a long story short perspective yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and Lex, I pray, I pray that, 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 uh, you don't have to wait till heaven that, uh, that well, you, are, not. you know, I'm very hopeful, prayerful yeah. and hopeful, but hey, if, if, if it's, if it's not in God's plan, it's not in God's plan. But if it is, I'll, I won't be, I won't complain. Yeah. Doors I'll open. Have relationship with my kids. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Lex, I have to tell you, it's been it's been great, uh, you know, getting to know you uh, a little bit, and uh, you really seem like you're at peace. And uh, you know, I think a lot of people, you're you're part of what you're doing now is you're inspiring people. Uh, I, I think you realize that, but there are a lot of people out there that uh, have been traveling or or have traveled a rough road, and uh, you know, you're a shining example. Well, we're here to comfort, encourage each other, Sean. So. I'm glad I have the opportunity. God's given me the opportunity to do that. So thank you, though. Kind words, Sean. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And I uh, hope to see you uh, down the road. I'm sure we will cross paths once once again, but uh, an incredible story. And thanks, really, for being so candid and, and honest and uh, sharing with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sean, for having me on. Uh, great interview. I enjoyed it. And uh, once again, I'm sure we'll see each other down the road, Sean. Okay, so if if people do want to somehow get in touch with you, is there do you have a website or a email or I think you, they can follow you on Twitter too. What's what's the best way for them to reach I out? I don't, but probably uh, at genuine Lex Luger on Twitter, and if they want to direct message me, if they have something they specific they'd like to 
speak about. So yeah, at genuine Lex Luger, the best way. Yeah. Thank and you. if you'd like to hear more of the story, you can pick up uh, Wrestling with the Devil. It's still out there. The true story of a world champion professional wrestler. His reign, ruin, and redemption. Lex Luger, thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Folks, as I have told you before, when we sit down for these conversations, we have no idea uh, how they're going to go or how long they're going to last. Uh, That was a long one, and that was a tremendous conversation with Lex Luger. Uh, There have been others who have traveled the road, of course, uh, that uh, uh, he may have traveled as well, uh, a rough one. But it really seems that after everything that has happened, he's at peace now, as I mentioned. Uh, His faith is certainly a big part of that. And his mission now is to give back. And I really, 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 really want to thank Lex for coming on. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the podcast, the hits keep coming. Uh, We've got a great bonus episode. That's right. A bonus episode coming to you this week. Now uh, that you have enjoyed the Lex Luger episode, how about a bonus episode? This Friday, we're going to release the Tony Schiavone premium episode that we did previously for free. And that's going to happen this Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. And you can download the Tony Schiavone episode on whatever platform you listen to, on iTunes, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, We've heard some folks talking uh, about Google Play. They haven't been able to find the episode uh, there or or the uh, podcast. We are working on that, folks. But uh, all the platforms, wherever you can get it, also on YouTube, we've got uh, a lot of episodes up there. I mentioned another giveaway. Let's do it. Before we wrap things up here, when I was at WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans, I uh, saw many of my friends. And um, Kenny Casanova is one of the uh, ghostwriters. He's been uh, one of the people that's helped a lot of these wrestlers put together uh, books. And I have in my hands right now uh, the uh, book Kamala Speaks. So it is a signed copy of Kamala's book. I'm going to give this away. And just like the last book, the Danny Davis book, what we want you to do is go to iTunes. If you haven't done so already, uh, give us a review. And we're going to select uh, one of the people that puts that uh, post up there uh, as the winner of this book. So get to iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, subscribe, give us a review and a rating. And we're going to pick a random winner for this, okay? So that is about going to do it. I want to thank, once again, our great sponsor this week, SeatGeek. Don't miss that next great live event. Make it happen with SeatGeek. And because you're one of my loyal listeners of PTSM, just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PRIMETIME. That's promo code PRIMETIME, and you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. What are you waiting for? Come on. Download the SeatGeek app today. And that's going to wrap things up this week on Primetime with Sean Mooney. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. The world of MLW Radio never stops. Over 460 million people around the world have disabling hearing loss. Starkey Hearing Foundation provides hearing aids and hearing-related healthcare to millions of patients in over 100 countries but they need your support to continue helping those in need. Give the gift of hearing by donating to the Listen In Campaign. Go to listenincampaign.org to donate today. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N dot O-R-G.